Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. I woke up thinking about what my platoon sergeant had told me prior to our going over to Iraq. We were in a Humvee with me in the back and him in the front seat. He turned and said, you know what, Irv? What's up, sergeant? After you kill a man, there's no other feeling like it. Mark my words, you won't want to do any hunting again. The excitement of that will be gone. You won't find any joy in it either. Once you kill a man, you can't replace that feeling. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to have the guest uh, for this second podcast that we have today. He was a third Ranger Battalion soldier for five years. He did multiple deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan. He is the deadliest sniper in battalion history, credited with 33 kills in one deployment. He's the first black sniper in 3rd Battalion history. He created Hard Shoot, a shooting school and training center. He's consulted and been in on multiple TV shows and movies, including the hit reality show American Grit on Fox and advised on the movie The Wall with John Cena. He currently has his first book optioned for a major motion picture, and I would like to welcome Sexual Chocolate, <laughs> Nick the Reaper Irving, to the podcast. Welcome, my man. What's going on, brother? Hey, I was thinking the way you read that, yeah. you got to read my next book, man. That yeah, was that I, I, was that was good. I, I'm I'm on it. I, uh, I'd be happy to. Should that, be, that be was an honor. Really? I, yeah, no bullshit. I'd yeah, love to do that it. was good, man. Yeah. That, I was like, oh, I feels good to my ears. Yeah, that's I like what that. you said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the um, I'd, yeah, shit, I'd be happy to, man. Um, I, I love doing it. But for everybody out there listening, the, the story that you're going to hear and some of the expert excerpts that we're going to get into uh, go far beyond just the the basic, you know, shooting and combat operations. It really gets into the, into the psyche of it. But um, you know, the the thing that uh, that everybody needs to understand is the the badassery that exists with the gentleman that's sitting across the table uh, is frankly humbling. I mean, the, the amount of shit that this guy has done, uh, the, the hands that he's gotten dirty for, for Uncle Sam on behalf of this great nation, for everybody that's out here listening, is something that uh, I hope that you guys can 
appreciate to the magnitude and level that I do being able to, to share this space with them in, in this time. So I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a long fucking drive. I'm good, man. Uh, hopefully the, uh, the ribs that we partook in. Oh my gosh. Ago. We got to get into that too. That, that was, uh, I've been to many, many barbecues, but that was by far, by far the best ribs. I think, yeah, Chef Ramsey could definitely take a few few lessons, man. Yes, yeah, so that was good. So you heard that here first. Yeah, according to Nick, it's uh, trade market the best ribs he's ever had here in Cooper, Texas. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So, what uh, I guess on the ribs, real quick. What uh, what what is, what's your fancy? What do you like to What do you like to shoot? What do I like to shoot? What do you, what do you like to throw on the grill? Here I am. Oh yeah, shooting. Yeah, yeah. I like to. Man, steak is my thing, dude. My dad, he showed me this special way that he makes ribs. You know, like you soak them in vinegar water for a little bit, then you, mm-hmm. you know, like overnight, uh, put them in the oven, kind of let them, you know, get warm a little bit there, and then you put them on the grill, smoke them out. Um, but they don't taste like yours, man. Like yours were like, <laughs> dude, if you if. I wish people could see how they fell off the bone. I don't even think. Yeah, he just pulled the bone. It was like, dude, it was perfect, man. Well, so these are beef ribs, and that's uh, to me, that's kind of the big, the big difference. Honestly, I mean, pork ribs are are what most people make, you know. But Mm -hmm. that's what I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these beef ribs are they're off the plate, uh, not from the chuck, which is a different cut. So it's basically like a that meat on it is more similar to to ribeye, basically. Ah, you know that might be the difference. I've never had uh, beef ribs before. Yeah, no, for sure it is. Ah. and and there's nothing on them. There's there's a, a light, really light dusting of Montreal steak seasoning. What? And that's it. There's no sauce. There's nothing else. It's 12 hours of uh, of a combination of hickory, pecan, and and cherry wood. Oh my gosh! For 12 hours, and uh, and that's it. You got to let the meat do the talking. Golly! Just, just like you gosh. do other places. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. yeah, that's right. Got to let it marinate. Yeah, <laughs> that is right. Uh, all right, so we're gonna do a, a quick lightning round break in. I like to do this. Uh, just some random. Uh, retarded fucking questions to uh, to get your mind right and uh, and it's just you know random shit that I know people are curious about so oh yeah uh, th- three things that you're grateful for three things that I'm grateful for family I uh, have to you know always be grateful for that family uh, I would say my dad but he kind of falls in that circle too jeez <laughs> uh, family first Damn, this, I put you on the spot. Yeah, the little friends that I do have, that circle, man, the understanding. I think understanding of friendship and, you know, I think that's what I'm grateful for, too. Uh, you know, having the the trials and tribulations or whatever, finding that, you know, whatever that mythological thing that people talk about of, you know, keep your circle small. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of big circles, you know, that happened to to get there. So I'm thankful for all the failures, man. I think that's one of the things that I'm really grateful for. Yeah. You know, failing a lot and learning from those mistakes. Uh, third thing, third thing would be, geez, these are really, this, this is opened up pretty good, man. Jeez. Breaking right into that shit. Third thing would be, you know what, I think I'm... Don't ever talk about it too much, but like fans, I don't like to call them fans or anything like that, but supporters, maybe supporters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that, man. I think that when I first started this whole thing of telling my story, you know, it was like me inside of a, uh, you know, my little computer room and the carpet was beer cans, you know, and Mm -hmm. just wasted, bro, like 30 beers a day and writing down this, this belligerent drunk, you know, journal that turned into a book, man. And people, people bought it. And I was going through really, really hard times, you know, car was towed and that got repoed, man. I was in Vegas at the time and my lights got shut off at the house. So I'm talking to, uh, the Knight's armament guy, um, Jacob Knight. 
Jacob Knight, uh, we just got done playing like I watched him play poker and he won like a grand or something like that. And he was like, here, man, you know, uh, he heard my story, you know, the SR 25 and stuff. He was like, pay your light bill. I was like, geez, I needed that. And then from there, man, it was just, uh, people wanted to hear the story and never understanding what that could do, you know, to someone else or how it could benefit them and help me at the same time. I think, you know, I'm really, you know, grateful for that and just the the supporters. Yeah. No, you know, I hear you a hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that I think is is really cool to sit down with you is, is how similar uh, some of our experiences in terms of from the time we got out until now are. Um, And same thing, you know, I had some, some pretty rough, rough times in that transition and getting out, not knowing what the fuck I'm doing and, and, and where to go and what to try and all that shit. And, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, a number of times where I was like looking at my bank account, like, God damn, I don't know how oh, I'm going to yeah. feed my family, yep, you know, yep. um, and, and just sticking with it. But, uh, but same thing, man, like that, that's the hard part. But, yeah. You know, that, that support that you get from the people that, that truly give a fuck what you're doing. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, if not for them, you and I wouldn't be here. Oh you know? dude, I've, I've sat on my back porch twice. I can recall with the Glock, man, yeah. one round, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, definitely. That's fucking. That's deep, man. I appreciate it. Um, what What does your morning routine look like? Uh, you know, obviously when when you're traveling, it's different. But you know, mm-hmm. just day to day, like, what does Nick Irving do first thing in the morning after you piss excellence and scratch your ass? <laughs> Dude, I mainly piss caffeine now, man. <laughs> uh, my work hours. I mean, I've been getting into like understanding myself a little bit more. You know. Um, uh, reading a lot of, you know, guys who I look up to and their work ethic, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, um, Nikola Tesla, um, Thomas Edison, those guys, you know, and, and their work ethic and, you know, Thomas Edison, a guy like that works 72 hours flat, just mm-hmm. straight, you know, and, and I'm like, well, that set him apart from, you know, me and what made him be become great or what I consider to be, you know, iconic or legendary or influential. And Stephen King, I look at those guys and they just uh, kind of base my life off of theirs. And everyone wakes up early. I think people, you know, they forget how much of the, you know, day they lose when you sleep in and stuff like that. So I usually wake up around six or seven o'clock. I don't get much sleep, man. Um, I've been in this like writing phase now. So I'll crank out as much as I possibly can, maybe go to bed around three or something like that. And so are you writing late at night or first thing in the morning? Dude, I start when the brain juices. Like as soon as I get, uh, I call it a vibe, man. I I sit in front of this. Sounds weird. So wake up six o'clock. And if nothing hits me in that first hour or so, not shame to admit it, but I'll take a nap, a power nap. Um, after that power nap, I wake back up and usually that's where like, oh, I can, you know, I remember like a portion of a dream or something like that. And then that dream turns into, you know, or manifests itself into like a theory or a philosophy or something. Then that philosophy, what I'm writing now, uh, turns into a chapter. So I'm writing this book called Mindful Thoughts. And it's like, um, just a bunch of philosophy kind of on a quantum level, but, uh, spoken in, uh, layman's terms in a story format. So I have to kind of like, you know, getting that mindset. I've been doing that for a few months now, a lot of reading too. Yeah. Or cranked out a few uh, quantum physics and quantum theory books. So that's fucking yeah. badass, man. That's cool as shit. I know, you know, for me, I think same thing, you know, looking at, at successful people or even just interesting people and mm-hmm. seeing how they start the day. Like to me, it, it says a lot about somebody uh, based on what, what the first fucking, you know, yeah. hour of your day looks like, you know, meditation too is a big thing. Yeah. I, but I, na- I mainly do that right before I go to bed, like an hour before. Yeah. And it's a, 
pretty long process in depth. Some people might say it's the Illuminati. I don't know. Yeah. But it's... Wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I can't say, man. I can't say. No. Good shit. All right. Uh, just a brief synopsis of your workout regimen. Obviously, I mean, uh, if you're not following Nick on Instagram and other social media platforms, by all means, do it. You know, you're pretty yoked out, dude. And uh, I know everybody, you know, they always ask a lot of us, like, you know, what do you guys do to stay in shape? And whatever. Yeah. And so I always like to ask guys that are that are active kind of what, what, do, you, what do you do to, to keep that up? I'm blessed with really, really good black jeans, I guess, man, or something like that. I mean, you know, it's I work out, but I think one of the problems is is having a a, a gym inside my home. It, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's a prison style gym, prison style, just a you know bench press, some dumbbells and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, waking up to get that motivation, like I feel it now. When I was you know 21, 22 years old, I get wasted at the bar. I won't sleep for a couple of days and I'm banging out, you know, 300, you know, on a PT test or something yeah. like that. Nowadays, man, it's like, you know, stick to the basics, pump a few weights until I get a good pump. I just want to be able to make sure because I'm not like a six foot six, you know, or whatever big guy. So it's like everything that I have, you know, it has to be there like a little pit bull or something like that. Yeah. Um, explosive energy, just like as long as I can bench press, you know, 250, 300 pounds a couple of times, I'm like, I'm pretty well off. Yeah. But I don't, I don't go as in depth as I used to. I think that my bones are something, man. It's just, you know, I've been taking my fish oils and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, there's a few, a few days where I wake up and I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have lifted that much or something yeah. like that. You know, you feel <laughs> yeah. those little tweaks and pinches, man. Yeah. But yeah. You just drink the the panther piss, right? Yeah, out yeah. I call my dad sorry. up and I'm like, "Hey, dad, I need some more jeans." You know, that's right. Favorite uh, CCW gun? I know, and I'll caveat that with I know, like for me, it de- it depends. You know, yeah, but, yeah. But I have, you know, like while there's a, a few different platforms I roll with, uh, there's one in particular that that I prefer. But I'm curious to get the uh, Glock twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah, twenty three. Oh, Glock twenty three. I used to do the twenty two. Um, but that was just too long. So I started carrying the uh, Glock 23. Yeah. I was going to switch to the SIG just because of the ergonomics with it. I kind of like the, you know, how the, how the sights come up on my, you know, when I draw the weapon. Um, but I'm just familiar with the Glock, man. I think it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm into fine motor skills and gross motor skills. So yeah. if I'm scared, you know, I, I, you know, tense up like anybody would and reaching for a safety or anything like that. I don't want that to become my downfall. Yeah. You know, and I figure that if I am in a situation where I have to use it, you know, the person's really, really close and may have reach or something like that. So I'm trying to just, you know, pull it and shoot. I don't want to have to think about anything. Yeah. It should feel like a punch or something. But the the twenty three over say a nineteen or seventeen, you're you're more oh, wow, you're, yeah. You're bigger on that that caliber as opposed to a I love the forty cal, yeah. yeah. Love the forty cal. After training with um ATF, the undercover uh, undercover ATF guys, and they had the SR25s, and their choice of pistol round was the 40 cal, and uh, just kind of grew with that. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure why I necessarily did. I just feel that it has, in my opinion, more. I'm going to say stopping power. I think it's all about shot placement to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you can pluck somebody with a 22 and you know end it, but. It's just I like the forty cal man. Yeah. yeah. To me, I, I guess ballistically, you know, not to get too far off on a fucking tangent, but yeah, yeah. You know, the the forty is a little snappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I got bitch wrists. Let's be honest, dude. Me too, man. So, you me know, too, so yeah. fucking. Uh, I like to. Uh, I like the the nineteen just because it's a little more manageable and you mm-hmm. get a few more rounds. But I'm with you, like. You see those people with you know forty forty fives and three fifty sevens and forty four mag and stuff like no. if you if you're not hitting where it needs to go exactly it doesn't matter what you shoot if you're hitting somebody with a forty four or forty five more than twice 
Twice should just be, you know, like, this is what you're going to get automatically. Yeah. More than that, I mean, I mean, shop placement, man. Shop yeah. placement. No, I'm right there with you. I do like to, I, the one, this is a free tip for all you assholes listening, is that uh, rolling with like a little LCR, a little, you know, J-frame or, or yeah. something like that, 357 in, in the car door yeah. or in the console, like that's my car jack gun. Mm-hmm. Motherfucker mm-hmm. comes to the window, he's oh, getting yeah. a barn door. You know? Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. I don't like... Like I always have too, because if you got if you got this shit, you know, inside the waist or whatever, like you know what I learned? This is gonna sound like a groupie, seal groupie man. <laughs> but not even this might not even be cool for you guys, but G.I. Jane, okay? This was like my movie, man. You, you had me at G.I. I was like, yeah, but this one quote that this guy, I think it was the instructor, he was like, uh, two is one, one is none. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay, I like it, I get it, you know. Yeah. So I always, you know, two weapons and one oh, yeah. for the car. Uh, one for carry and I use different types of ammo too. So I won't use like in the winter time, I won't use hollow point. Mm-hmm. I only use ball just so it won't get clogged up on heavy clothing or something like that. Um, and then vehicles, you know, ballpoint yeah. and stuff. Have you messed with the, um, the Hornady critical defense? They yes, got I have. Plug in them yep. that, that's for that, but yeah, uh, but they don't expand where the shit. No, they don't expand. And I think that, I mean, clothes, man, like different fabrics. I think that it's just, you never know what someone's going to wear and where it's going to disperse and how it's going to, you know, uh, pancake out. Yeah. I like reliability. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. So next one, this is the, this is the burning question is iPhone or Android? Android. God damn. You go with iPhone? I mean, I, th- I think the interview's over, right? You I, no, you can't <laughs> do iPhone, bro. God, I switched over to Android because they start sending those little updates like you must update your phone. And two times it happened where my phone just took a shit. Yeah. And I go back to, the, to Apple, I'm like, hey, you have to fix this. Well, you have to buy a new phone. And I'm just like, no, yeah. it's not happening. They're trying to fucking strong arm you. Yeah. Fucking balls on those I guys. Had to, I had to punch one of the Apple customers. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. No. <laughs> you went to the fucking no. Genius Bar and fucked somebody up? No, no I wouldn't do that. No. Yeah. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite cut of meat? I think I know the answer after after now. What's your what's your favorite? Mike's cut? ribs. Uh, Mike, you heard. You it. have to label that, bro. Like Mike's ribs, bro. That is. Boom. I, I think it needs to be something a little more innuendo, like like Mike's meat. Like Mike's, Mike's meat. M and M's, bro. Yeah, My, Mike's. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mike's there's, there's a million angles we can go with that. Oh yeah. Uh, but the no bullshit in terms of steak, like, uh, and I, I'm talking steak. I'm not talking about yard bird or fucking fish or any of that other crap. Good steak, I like filet, filet mm-hmm. mignon. Yeah, over the ribeye. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, sure. yep. That, that, it's just yeah. tender. I like the the tenderness, and it's just the maybe yeah. it's the way I cook it. Yeah. I haven't had your way, so yeah. I mean, I might have to change my mind too. But after this podcast, he's gonna have a ribeye that's gonna make him want to slap his mom. A you. whole lot of meat with it too. Yeah. That's even later. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, no cameras for that one. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll get it. We'll stream it live. It'll be great. Nice. Pay-per-view. Oh, okay. Uh, favorite drink? Oh, and that's not, in terms of alcohol, I don't give a fuck if you like Gatorade. Dude, I, I used to, I stopped drinking after I got on this meditation, like, uh, chakra style philosophy illuminati full full fucking tree hugger right now negative this is way (laughs) like this is way deeper like just the understanding maybe i've talked to some guys or i don't know man but the understanding of like the subconscious mind i I feel like this is like some avatar shit where you're like taking your tail and weaving it. no i thought you were gonna say avatar and you start (laughs) drinking like uh onion juice and banana juice yeah yeah, that's you, a real thing. You rolling with that? No, I don't do that. That's just nasty. No. Okay, so back when you drank, what was your favorite? Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. Jack, yeah. I can't get mad at that. 
All right. Last but certainly not least, porn or strip clubs? Ooh, that's a tough one. Oh, no, it's not. Strip club. You know what? Porn's, was, porn's after that. You know, why not fucking both? Like, why is that not a thing where there's there's porn playing at a strip wow, club? Wow, dude, you might have. They have this new uh, this new strip club where they have Bitcoin now. See, fucking, you could incorporate porn in. Oh my gosh! Yeah, see, so I wouldn't. I'd be, I'd how about a that. lap dance while there's there's raunchy oh, porn going? Oh, dude, we, you're getting do that. You're getting, Spe- me, you're getting me going right now. Spearmint Rhino, take note of that. You're getting shit. me going. Oh man, I actually know a. Never mind. Yeah, but I can. Yeah, I'm, you're throwing the filter. Yeah, out. yeah. I know. Oh, what, shit, I forgot we're recording this. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, people in are two people in the industry that. Uh, you want to share that? I mean, two two people. I noticed you didn't mention gender. A guy and a girl. All right. Yeah. In the industry. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. Oh yeah. We'll get a few drinks going. We'll talk about. Oh that. yeah. All right. So. Uh, moving on to uh, some more serious t- uh, subjects. Oh wait, I meant like I know them. Not the guy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, I just yeah, I know I I know them. I haven't worked with yeah, either you, either. No, you, you can tap dance for some people. Yeah, I, I haven't worked with either. That's fucking especially great. not the guy. Yeah, the uh, especially let's let's make sure that's fucking on there. Oh yeah. The uh, all right. So we're gonna. I'd like to talk about background just because I know you know just like with all of us you know background tends to shape people quite a bit and and I know for me you know I have a pretty. Um, I guess, storied childhood in terms of, of the impact that it had on me. And, and one of the things that, that I found really fascinating about your book was, um, was the influence that you had growing up to two military parents, uh, on Fort Meade, Maryland, uh, and going, you know, to, uh, you know, a, a military school essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think that, that I, I love about that, I mean, I, I don't have experience with it, but seeing while I was in guys that had their kids going to those schools is just the difference between, you know, kind of ingraining that, that level of respect that for the love mm-hmm. of fuck, I wish would, would be ingrained into yeah, our society yeah. the way that it is on, on military bases. But I'd love to hear about yeah just in general, like your childhood, what, what was that experience like growing up there and Man. what kind of impact did that have? Okay, this is a good one. Like, this is really good. I think it's good because no one believes it, man. But so I was born in Germany, uh, Augsburg, Germany. Um, both my parents were in the Army intelligence community. I forget the, uh, they were like during the Cold War, they were doing Morse code. And I know my dad did like something really cool, intercepted something. And some guys in like, uh, you know, black suits, like gave him a plaque and took the plaque back. And, uh, it's like a weird, he has a weird story of, you know, just stuff that happened uh, during his career. And my mom, he was training my mom at the time, and that's where they met up. He was like, hey, I'm going to marry this girl he was talking to, you know. <laughs> to, to, to go fucking Drop a little drink in there. I'm going to marry her now, you know. <laughs> no, he didn't do that, but I don't know. But uh, maybe, yeah, he did. maybe he did. But he, he uh, married her. I was born and I stayed in Germany for about three years. And I would just remember bread, like the smell of bread and riding on the back of my dad's bike. We used to ride around on this like a uh, big wheeled bike and I would sit on the back of it and uh, we'd ride around with like long sticks of bread. I just remember that and like hills and stuff like that. My mom was a beast, man. Like she was, she grew up in Georgia. She was a tomboy growing up and she was a beast, man. She was, you know, outperforming the guys in the unit. She's, you know, maxing out all her PT scores on 300 and stuff like that. Had me, had my sister. We moved to Maryland, initially Florida. And I don't remember anything about Florida. It was just like this 
a weird time lapse of, I don't know what happened there or whatever, but uh, from Florida, we moved to Maryland and this is where stuff gets weird, man. Like you might not, may not believe it, but if you believe in ghosts, this is no joke, man. Oh, shit. My, dude, no joke, bro. You can go there and it's like they didn't even rip down the houses. They just let like they blocked it off and let trees grow up through this it. This is Fort Meade. Yeah. We were uh my house was it was not even a house. It was near Fort Meade. I'm not gonna call it like a project housing, but it was not good housing. You know, it was just mm-hmm. a, a concrete shithole. Yeah. You could spit in the front door and then go out the back, you know? Yeah. So can we say that shithole? Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, no, dude, country. it was, a, it was a shithole, man. It was a hundred percent shithole. Yeah. And, uh, my front yard. So you walk across the street, there was a cemetery there and no one thought anything of it or whatnot, but every single day, man, we'd see, you know, ghosts or whatever. My first experience was we were sitting downstairs. It was me, my mom, my sister, and my other sister. She was living with us at the time. And anyways, we're all sitting on the, uh, uh, the couch watching TV and we heard footsteps. We had these, you know, wooden floors and we heard, you know, people upstairs running around and my parents were, you know, they grabbed us and like, what's, you know, what's going on. And then all of a sudden we hear the footsteps coming down the stairs. And as it came down we can hear, like, we're looking for the person, but we couldn't see anybody. And then we saw like a, a thing, like a black mass or whatever thing brush in front of us. Was it, was it like the fucking smoke from Lost or was it more like uh It was like a, like a mist, you know, like a, like a, just a, a mist. That was the first experience. But then we had, I remember my sister answering the door, going outside to like play with the little girl. Um, I remember the one that shook me to my core. And this is where I, I don't sleep on my back because I was sleeping on my back one day and I felt something wake me up. And in front of my, uh, the foot of my bed, there's a doorway and you could see, you know, outside and then you have a little, um, some stairs that go down and there's a bathroom off to the right side. My parents were off to the left side. Um, felt something wake me up, man. And I look and I see a troop, like troop movement of old, col- like colonial style, you know, army guys marching in front of my doorway and then taking a turn and going down the stairs like in perfect marching formation. So I, you know, rushed my eyes and put my covers over my head and pulled them back down and they're still there. How, how old were you at this point? I was like maybe seven, seven years old. Yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. And uh, so I'm watching these guys go by and the last guy, he stops in the doorway and he stares at me and I, you know, put my sheets over my head and I look back and then he's starting to come like at a fast pace into my room and I get up run not through him but i just you know i guess you could say through him 
ran and I ran into the bathroom. I didn't want to go downstairs because that's where they were all going. My dad saw him and he heard me run into the bathroom and I see him bolt out of the room and I'm sitting curled up in the fetal position on the toilet. And I'm like, please don't beat me. Please don't beat me because I wasn't supposed to be up. And it was time to go to bed and it's time to go to bed. And he runs in and grabs me and takes me to his room. That was one incident. But we had like, there was so many, like we have a picture of one. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. And did he see the, the soldiers? The way you oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we all saw him. That's a fucking trip. Dude, we saw like there was one guy downstairs like kneeling on the where our kitchen was he was just and we had a downstairs basement bro that thing was scary we had a jack in the box a set in the corner my dad put it over there or something because it kept going off those things are trippy as fuck to begin yeah with. bro and there's this guy i walked downstairs one day it was after t-ball practice i walked downstairs and i see a guy in the corner and he's kneeling down over this jack in the box and it's winding up winding up and i'm like oh it's my dad playing you know whatever so I'm like walking over there and then it stops and I don't see that thing, that guy anymore. And then it just bing pops off and I run upstairs and I've been pushed down the stairs, bro. Like I have the scar from that. Dude, it was crazy. So, I mean, I got to ask then like after growing up, whatever, like, is this something you guys talk about? Like fucking Christmas and no. like, do you ever, dude, we, we've tried to bring it. My mom's really, really scared about that stuff. Like we won't watch any more scary movies. Well, my parents phone, I kind of watch it. Um, I made the mistake of watching Paranormal Activity when that first came out. And that was like, no joke, my life, man. It was footsteps, things breaking, things missing. I got pushed down the stairs, scratched and stuff like that. God Dude, damn. no bullshit, man. Well, so I guess, you know, my, my next logical question then is, has that had or did that have any impact in terms of military or since then or whatever? Or has it just been kind of a, a weird memory that you have? Just a weird memory. But I saw like those same things overseas. We were... uh we were walking over this, it smelt like shit over there. And I remember the ground was really, really moist and wet. And they had these like headstones almost. It looked, I had no idea there were headstones at the time, just like rocks or whatever. Walking As over you're it. taking a shit on them. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was about to go on this rooftop and swack some dudes. And I remember sitting up there, bro. And I saw a ghost. It was like behind me. I was like, oh my gosh. But yeah, dude, it's, it's a thing, man. Maybe I, yeah, I think you're, you're like a fucking gateway to the, to the right? world. Dude, you know? I've always wanted to do that one show, <laughs> Ghost Adventures. If you want to see me like Freak ball, dude, out. dude, ghost, That's man. That's a fucking trip. Well, I, and we had a Ouija board too. I, yeah. So my parents were big into like stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember, dude, this is going to sound even crazier, but they taught us how to make someone levitate when you sit them in a chair and you stack your hands a certain way and then you have to wait for this heat to build up and then you touch them on their knees and then their elbows and you lift someone out the chair yeah. and we did it to my sister and she, like she freaked out and they were like don't ever do that again and my grandmother she does like i'm not gonna say voodoo but but she's got rum and chicken bones and stone yeah and yeah 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 <laughs> she's i mean don't eat the pears out of her pear tree because yeah. you may end up pregnant like that's a no joke that's yeah that's some trippy shit um did you have any issues, man? I know the story about you uh, putting your hands on your sister and, and that yeah, not very yeah. well. But other other than something like that, were there any issues with with family like that had a, a profound impact on on any aspect of your life, positively or negatively? Yeah. Like, My parents, uh, going back to them and their military, like understanding. I remember watching like the Super Bowl and you know sports and the national anthem would come on and they would always stand up. And, you know, put their hand over. I thought that was cool. And I went to CQ one time, our staff duty with my dad. And I watched him like fold the flag, raise the flag. And I thought that was like the neatest thing ever. It was like, well, he gets to 
it just looked organized and the little, the movements they would do, yeah. you know, that was, uh, and then him always, you know, teaching me never to quit. Yeah. That was like the biggest thing. I was never allowed to quit. And if I felt pain, my dad would always like teach me how to ignore the pain by, and yeah. It, 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 the, the kind of the, the overarching gist that I get from, from reading it is that, uh, and, and, you know, again, my, my situation was pretty, pretty fucking similar in terms of my dad playing a big role in, in inspiring to, to do what I did. But, mm -hmm. um, would you say that he was kind of the sole, sole inspiration for, oh, yeah. for wanting to join? Dude, he bought me all the Navy SEAL books, man. He yeah. took me to the library. He used to drive me down to Annapolis and then, uh, Ocean City, like two hour, three hour drive. And he'd make me run two miles on the beach and then hop in the water and swim with all my, you know, he'd have the printout of the Navy SEAL PT test and all that. Then they enrolled me. He got me in contact with an SF guy and taught me how to swim and, I uh, was cranking out, you know, the SEAL PT test. I went to the baby SEAL program for the sea cadets. And it was uh, it was like a 500-meter swim in 12 minutes, 30 seconds or something like mm -hmm. that. Then you have the push-ups, sit-ups, and the two-and-a-half-mile run in boots and pants. So I was passing that at, like, 16. And my dad, you know, trained me and forced me to, you know, stick with it for years, man. Yeah. Summer break was, you know, hell... I, had a simulated hell week. Uh, my dad organized it in the backyard and I, you know, had a ruck, uh, rucksack, you know, the canteens and all that. And I had to go around the neighborhood. It was like for a few miles, two or four miles or something. And then in the backyard, he had like obstacles and stuff. And I would climb a rope, do pushups. And I didn't sleep. And I was 15, 16. I didn't sleep for two days. And my dad kept me up sure. and he's like, keep working out, keep working out you know, push-ups, sit-ups, and had this little regimen, and I wasn't allowed to go to sleep for two days. So it's like fucking before American Ninja Warrior, but on fucking steroids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good shit. Um, was the, well, so this will trip you out. Like, so, you know, and we'll get into why uh, why you ended up not, not joining the Navy to be a SEAL and, and why you went into the Army. I'll let you explain that. But uh, this, is, this is kind of funny. The irony here is that, so my best friend and I growing up, uh, we both decided we were going to be fucking Rangers. And, uh, so it's like the polar opposite. Like he and I were like, yeah, we're going to fucking Rangers, Rangers lead the way. And went what? camping, camping what? and fucking doing, that all, sounds weird to hear. Yeah, yeah. doing all this dumb shit. Yeah. And so my mom, uh, I was like, yeah, Matt and I are going to go be fucking Rangers. And she looked at me, she's like, no, hell no. That's what my mom said. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You know, yep. And she was like, if, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to join the military, why don't you you know, join the Navy like your grandpa did. You can be on a ship and have three squares a day. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. And end up doing the same shit anyway. Yes, but, but yeah, so I, I wanted to, initially wanted to be a ranger and, and ended up a SEAL. And so she made you like change your mind? Is that what it was? Or? Uh, but, I mean, ultimately she was just like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want you to join the fucking army. I was Man. like, all right, I guess I'll join the Navy. But you know, at the same time, I read a, an article in Popular Mechanics that, that helped helped uh, transfer that popular that. mechanics was there a seal article in there yeah and it talked, i read that yeah. dude i read that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i don't dude. know how many like shout oh, out to fucking popular right mechanics. right like i don't know how many seals that they inspired to come in after reading that because it was it was the first time it was like a legitimate publication it wasn't mm -hmm. like you know sof or you know i know what dude oh my gosh yeah. the memories man yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah i read that and i was like god damn look at these guns and they're fucking diving and jumping yeah. and fucking you know oh. Doing all this shit, I was like, I got to do that, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, originally I wanted to be uh, wanted to be a ranger. So, so you were hell bent on being a seal, and you're getting all ready, and then, uh, you know, you you get ready to join up, and what uh, what happened? Sixth grade, man. I was in the sixth grade. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna be a seal, and I'm gonna be a sniper. 
My mom helped me make this ghillie suit. She thought it was just a phase. And it turned into, you know, the books and then failing school and only reading like Vietnam, you know, books of seals and stuff like that. And then class two, three, four came out on the Discovery Channel. And I watched that, recorded it. And I watched it every single day after school, man. Like, oh, you know, I can be that guy. I can do that. So I was hell bent on it. Went into, did the whole sea cadet program. And I went in to uh, take my physical test, the fit, you know, the physical portion before you join up. And, you know, I passed all that and they whipped out this book called the easy horror test. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, pretty easy. And I could see the guys in front of me, they're like, you know, 12, seven, six. And I'm like, okay, this is easy. I'm just going to go up there and blow this out the water. And she turns open the first page and I'll never forget it. It was like, clear as day. I was like 12, you know, and she looks, she like stops. And she looks at me and she's like, okay, are you sure? Yeah. That's what yeah. She's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, it's 12. I could see it. And she starts flipping the pages and I'm like, okay, there's nothing, nothing on these pages. So I'm just naming off random stuff like 40 Z, you know, <laughs> the stuff that's not there. And she, she closed the book up. She's like, Hey, you're colorblind. And I was like, no, please don't tell me that. You know, what does that mean? Um, she's like, well, you can't be a SEAL or anything, you know, or infantry or anything like that for that matter. No guns, no anything. So I cried. I went home and we had dial-up. So I, you know, waited for the dial-up to work and I made sure my parents wouldn't answer the phone or anything like that. Cause I was like, Hey, I have to study for this easy horror test. <laughs> it's a colorblind test, right? So I pulled up every single possible you know, combination that I could find on the internet and printed them out and I studied them and I was studying like the dots in there, you know, okay, I I can see these two dots. These two dots mean, you know, the solution it would give the answer is that. So I tried to remember that. I go there, I rescheduled it, had another test come up and I go and I'm like, you know, so pumped for it, ready to go. And they like totally screwed over that entire test. It wasn't what I expected. It was a different test. And she flips it open and start filling that one. But I had a army nurse hear my story and she was like, you know, come over to my office. And she took me over there and, you know, we talked a little bit. That's all we did. This sounds like a start. Yeah, to a I know, right? Come into my office. Yeah, we start talking and she opens up the book <laughs> and she's like, what number do you see on this first page? And I was like, I see 12. You know, it's 100% 12. And she says, okay. And she traced it with her finger. And I was like, I see where this is going. So she flips the page and she starts tracing over all the numbers. And I still have the medical uh, test. It was zero out of 14 PIPS, whatever that means. And then I was, you know, 14 out of 14, perfectly good, no color vision. You know, I could see now. And they were like, well, now you're in the army. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, what do you guys have the closest thing to being a Navy SEAL? And they were like, well, Green Berets and Rangers. And I was like, Green Beret, I guess. But then looked at my ASVAB score and that didn't work out. <laughs> so I was like, give me Rangers. And I had no idea uh, what a Ranger was or anything. I saw him in Black Hawk Down, but I didn't really know. I just n- knew what Delta Force was. Those were the guys doing the cool stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just do Rangers. And then after that, go on to Green Beret and, you know, something. And that's how it started, man. And I wound up in basic training and wanted to quit there, you know, coming out of high school and not being used to that environment, like Mm -hmm. waking up at 4 a.m. Dude, no, you know, no. (laughs) Making up your bed. I made up my bed one time in basic, one time. And I slept slept underneath. Yes, on top or underneath. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing this again. This is... (laughs) I could get an extra 30 minutes of sleep, man. But I know you got rolled the fuck up doing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm fucking paying. Weapons them, maintenance. I'm like doing the weapons. <laughs> put this right here. Going to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's priceless. Um, one of the things I, I, you know, I'm curious, especially because 9-11 is such a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a big day in, in our nation's history, especially for kind of, you know, our generation, et cetera. Where, where were you and what impact? Oh, that wow. Yeah. I was in biology class, biology class, ninth grade. We were sitting in, in class and I remember like the one teacher came in and she's like, hey, there's a, a small commuter plane hit the building. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what a World Trade Center is, you know? And they pulled it up on the TV and I remember seeing the building smoke. And then all of a sudden, like kids' phones start going off and us being close to NSA at the time, you know, our school went on lockdown and we had like a mixture of kids in our school. We had military kids and then we had kids who were not military kids who were from a different background, demographic way of life. And yeah, just way of life, man. And uh, near Baltimore and stuff like that and D.C. area, they started running out of the school, like hopping over, you know, desk and it's just like mayhem. And then we start freaking out. I have my best friend, Andre, we, you know, still friends to this day. We've been through a lot together, like court at a young age, you know, <laughs> everything, man. And yeah. Um, yeah, we ran about a mile to go pick up our sisters. Uh, they were at a middle, a middle school, like a mile away from our school. And I remember seeing my mom in this gray minivan and she rolls up and the side door just like we're about to get kidnapped. And she's like, get in, get in. We get in. I was like, where's Jasmine? And all this and that, man, we finally make it home. And I remember it was just so dead quiet. We live right next to BWI airport. Mm-hmm. And when they, they shut, shut the fuck down. Yeah. And it was the first time like in my entire childhood where I didn't hear airport noise, uh, noise, you know what I mean? And it was just like, oh my gosh, our neighborhood is quiet. It was an eerie, eerie feeling. And then all night we stayed up and I just, you know, was glued in front of the TV watching the buildings fall and all that. And when the Pentagon got hit shortly after that, my dad, he said, Hey, I might have to go away for a little bit. And then his Blackberry or something like that rang. And then he went away for a while. I don't know what he did, but I know he worked, you know, the Pentagon, he worked with like the agencies and stuff like that for a while. And he went away for a little bit. Was was there a a point during watching that and and just kind of in general during yeah. that time? When where, I understood, you, well, not just in, understood, but where you thought to yourself like motherfucker, it's payback. Yep. I'm, yep. I'm gonna get my hands dirty from. Dude, I had an old uh, LCE my dad got uh, when he was in the military, and he let me have that, and I was like getting that thing ready, and I was like, hey, I want to try to get to New York. You know, if my dad could take me or somebody, I wanted to initially help, you know, uh, clear out the rubble and stuff like that. But that didn't work out. But I remember specifically thinking, and I, I said it out loud. My mom didn't like it. I was like, oh, I can't wait to join the military because I want to go kill these guys. Yeah. And she didn't like that. And I meant it, man. Yeah. And that was, it was that moment watching people fall out of the building and, mm-hmm. and, and people crying, dude. That was just, it was just unreal, man, seeing... And how would it affect it, you know, the entire nation? I remember our entire neighborhood had flags out mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It was just like this, it was just, I don't know, a, a coming together moment and mm-hmm. we needed payback or something, man. It was just like, I, I felt like I could do something at that yeah. point. One of the things that I think, uh, you know, that I, I find fascinating about the military experience for, you know, the generation of uh, shit, 20 year olds to 50 year olds at mm-hmm. this point with the yeah. last, you know, 15 years, but you know that that single solitary day that the impact and emotion that that it it uh, you know drug out of all of us as Everybody. as a society as a nation and for me i was in a platoon at seal team 3 when it happened oh, like wow. i was i was on the west coast driving to fucking work 
when when I was like shit just got real. You yeah, know? I mean, not that we weren't training to go to war before that, but but it was like holy shit, you know, yeah. like we're grabbing our shit. It's about man. to be fucking gnarly. And uh, how'd that feel, man? Like it, it was it was surreal, honestly, yeah. because it, it was like I mean, we had I had already done a deployment uh, at that mm-hmm. point, and and uh, you know, so I'd I'd already been to that that part of the country more than mm-hmm. actually you know more than once, and and um, you know, so it was it was a real. I mean, I hate to use the word eye opener, but, you know, because again, it, it wasn't like none of us signed up for, for the real deal, but it just, it, it went from being, you know, little things here and there, you know, shipboarding to, mm-hmm. you know, for oil embargo stuff or just little, you know, kind of tick type stuff here and there or whatever mm-hmm. to now it was like, it's fucking Game go time, time you know, yeah. but it was personal, you know, yeah. it was emotional. Um, and, and to me the, the culmination and, and we'll get into this later, but you know, when you think about, you know, from that day forward, you know, you were in high school, I was, you know, in a platoon, but, but the, you know, how long it took, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the closure and, and the emotion that, that came out of when, when bin Laden oh, was yeah. killed, like, oh, yeah. again, we'll, we'll get into the depths of that, but, but goddamn, like, yeah. you know, the, the friends we've lost and the, and the work you put in there and, and the fucking yeah. shit that we've been through as a, lot, as, a, as a country, as a military, you know, that all culminated on that day. I, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll talk 15 about years. It, yeah. But you know, it's uh, I mean, that's some some deep, powerful shit that uh, that I, I always love to hear. You know, the the background of, of where they were and, and mm-hmm. kind of how that that drove into into the decision, and especially going over. Like, I never went to Afghanistan; I was only in Iraq. So, you know, I hate you, Afghanistan. You know, yeah, for yeah. you for you to be there and and uh, you know that that whole experience of of essentially there because of nine eleven. That would have felt yeah. That felt more. Yeah, you know, my first two deployments or three deployments were to Iraq and then going into Afghanistan was like, here it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say I was scared. I just didn't know what to expect. It was, you know, a different enemy in in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And then going into this unknown, um, into Afghanistan, knowing that, you know, the 9-11 and all this and working with SEAL Team 6 there, it was just like, dude, it was, it was intense, man. It was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. I mean, and again, to me, the, you know, the bringing it back to, you know, that, that day and, and what that means. I mean, again, cause you know, I, I was in Iraq at, at the start of it and, and, mm-hmm. you know, back then it, it was just different. Like, I mean, I'm yeah. not saying that, that any of us sat around thinking, oh, this is bullshit. We shouldn't be going in, but it was for sure for very different reasons. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and to me, you know, that, that stark contrast in terms of, of what's driving, uh, our motive as a, as a nation to mm-hmm. get involved in those countries was, was very different. Big you know? time. And so, yep you know, losing the guys that we lost. I mean, not that the guys that we lost in Iraq are, you know, by God, they're, they're certainly not any less. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just such a different scope of, of why we're involved that, uh, yeah. you know, that I, I always love to, to get, you know, guys perspectives on it that, uh, that, that actually went to Afghanistan and did that. So that's good shit. Oh yeah. Um, there's a, a number of excerpts that, that I've pulled from the book that, um, that, that to me struck me as both, uh, not just interesting for the listener, but also, from kind of a, a deeper psychology standpoint of, of what it meant to you and, and how it felt. And I'd like to like to get into them and just, you know, read them and, and talk to you about them. Before I do that, I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to the author, Gary Brozek, because yeah. I worked with him on, on my two books and, and you worked with yeah. him on his two. What I, what I thought was pretty, pretty fucking cool was in, in reading yours is, is seeing the, the similarities in tone and kind yeah. of personality that he yeah. has. And, uh, you know, between the two of us, we've probably had 2000 conversations. Oh with my the guy, gosh, but, bro. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, shout out to Gary Brozak. He did a, a really good job for, for all of us, but, Big time. um, so, you know, in terms of, of the, uh, kind of what I wanted to read, I'm just going to read it and, uh, I want to get, 
get your take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this is uh, starting out. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, again, I've got some, uh, some similarities here, but in truth, I probably tortured myself more than anyone else did. I'd been dating a girl all of my senior year of high school. I was head over heels for her and I thought she was for me. Jay was into me, but not that into me as it turned out. I think my parents cried tears of joy when I went off to basic and had to leave her. I had a part-time job working at a shoe store. And that every, girl. Every bit of money I earned went to the care and support of Jay. How's that for gold digger? Oh, my gosh, that girl. Uh, sorry, Jay. I got I to call you out. Uh, call her out, man. Dude, she broke me, she broke me down, yeah. bro. I didn't know the expression high maintenance back then, but that's what Jay was. All through basic, I wrote her a letter every day, but I didn't get a single one back. I was 18 and fragile at that point. So the reason Dude. I bring that up is that, you know, that that's a, a very common thing that happens with military guys. They got the hometown sweetheart. And, mm-hmm. and to me, what, what I think, you know, uh, there's plenty of veterans out there listening that probably have similar experiences. But for those of that you aren't, a lot of times I think people assume that we're like, you know, have no emotion, you know, going into it. But it, it, it always amazed me uh, at how many people uh, would get broken by that home. Wet toilet paper, man. Yeah. You turn into wet toilet paper, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what, like what, uh, I mean, did that, because that had a, an impact on you Big almost time. not not going back after Christmas oh, Exodus, right? Bro, let's, okay. So listen, right? Here's how it started. I was dating these, I was dating a girl who lived right behind me. They did just moved into the neighborhood. Um, my best friend, Dre, he lived in front of me and he was dating another girl. They were sisters, right? And my dad, he kept telling us, hey, leave these girls alone. They're no good. Oh, oh, sage advice. Yeah, from the old he man. didn't give me any other words other than don't mess with them, right? Uh, we start talking to him on the phone way too much. So he took my phone away. And Dre, my friend, like my dad kind of raised him too. We were like brothers at you know certain points in time. And he took our phones away and was like, stop talking to them. So we went to, mowed some grass, shoveled some snow, saved up, and we bought some walkie-talkies. And we chucked some walkie-talkies to them, and we would just sit out you know, and talk to them. Um, we ended up breaking up because, come to find out that these girls were like in middle school, and we were in like high school. And <laughs> Robbing the cradle. Yeah, right. they're like, you know, they were lying to us and stuff. <laughs> Nothing ever happened, of course, you know, good thing, but... It was just like, hey, I'm, you know, in high school and you, it was just looked down upon. You don't date, mm-hmm. you know, an underclassman. So it was like that broke up. So to boost my morale and self-esteem, I saw this chick. She was raw, uh, she was walking down the street selling like door-to-door stuff. And she was kind of okay looking. So I was like, she was pretty. And I was like, hey, uh, I have a car, you know. <laughs> I got free candy. I, yeah, I got, I got some free <laughs> Wi-Fi, you know. I was like, I have a car. Um you know, and you know, I think you're pretty high. I, I said That's something some serious game. I yeah. A car and you're not, you ain't bad looking. Yeah. And we ended up dating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, she used me bad, man. It was like we would drive an hour to where she lived that and just sit in her room. And she never wanted to like, you know, she was my age. I was about to graduate. She never wanted to make out. We made out a few times, but she wanted like a diamond necklace and then like this, you she know, wanted the shoes first, all that stuff. Bro. And I was like, OK, maybe that's how you have to do it wine or old, you know, wine and diner. Yeah. So I was like, you know, doing other stuff other than mowing grass and shoveling snow to fund this chick and getting in trouble for it. Okay. And yeah, man, uh, I went on to basic and I wrote her all these letters. She never wrote me back. And I was like, well, maybe she's busy. Uh, Christmas Exodus came around and I snuck home, not snuck home, but I was going to surprise her. Uh, my, my friend Dre drove me down to her high school. It was this football game. 
we get there and I'm looking around, looking around and my sister Jasmine's there and she's kind of like, eh, not the one. If I have a girl problem, I send my sister and she's, she's pretty good. Um, I, I see Jay Jabrell. I guess that's, yeah, you say her name. <laughs> I guess I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see her, man. And she's holding hands with another, like a, another guy, a football player. Jody. Yeah, Jody. And I'm looking, I'm like, no, that's not, that, that can't be right. And then my friend Dre, he like grabs me. He's like, no, look, that's them. And dude, I just felt like the world in. But me being me, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get too upset. I'm just going to approach her. She tried to run away, and I thought that was weird. So I'm chasing her down. I'm like, what are you running for? I just want to, I'm home now, you know? And I was like, let me just drive you back home. We'll talk about it, you know, being that guy, yeah, you know? After, and after no letters. Yeah, I still want to be with you, you know? And I just saw you with this guy, but ignore that. So way, yeah. Way to, way to take a hint on that one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but then I got in the car, and I remember my friend, he kind of like got me out of it. He played this song, and the song was so jacked up that it was, the chorus goes, you can't make a hoe a housewife. <laughs> and he blasts that on, on repeat, man. I was just looking and I'm like, dude. And then when he got out, when she got out the car, he's like, you he got out the car with her. He's like, hey, come here. And then he, you know, grabbed the jewelry back and he's like, gave it to me. He's like, man, screw her. And never let me talk to her again. You can't make a hoe a housewife. That, yeah. We might have to get that on the soundtrack. Dude, it was legit song, man. <laughs> That's fucking great. But, you know, the thing that, that uh, astounds me, frankly, and I'm, I'm no exception, like there was a girl I wrote a number of letters to in boot camp didn't get a fucking thing back either and, uh, and same thing i was devastated i was like what the fuck you know like what did i do you yeah, know like i'm out here trying to fucking you know save the world yeah i'm in like, basic doing push-ups for yeah, this chick learn, you know learning how to iron fucking underwear right? yeah yeah and uh do a, a bunch of other useless shit i gotta roll my socks and, yeah you know it's just you know it's it's amazing you know the 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 impact that that uh that hometown girl can have on you and mm -hmm. it seems to to plague every fucking buddy as as it were but still remember her last name i remember where she lives bro like i don't know if she still lives there but have you had any contact with her since since that time uh no yeah that's probably i had this like black book though and i tried to give it a call like when i first got the battalion and the number had changed or something like that so that was probably another hint that it wasn't going to work out so i dated this uh other chick she was puerto rican beautiful beautiful girl and i was just Fresh in the battalion, one too many strip clubs in Atlanta, and that didn't work out. One too many? No, no, not in Atlanta. <laughs> no, no. That's good shit. All right, so the the next excerpt that uh, I want to talk about, and this again, this this really strikes home for me as it as it does a lot of people, and and it's something that I think. I don't think I know uh, in a lot of conversations I have with with the regular public is they you know the, Hollywood seems to skew and 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 make a, a lot of mis, misconceptions uh, publicly as to how things work in the military from a training versus combat standpoint. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things that that became blatantly fucking obvious for me when we took down the, the go plats of how different training is from mm -hmm. when the, when it's real. The go plats. Uh, uh -huh. Gas and oil platforms, okay. you know, the, yep, the oil yep. rigs. And so, because um, that was really the first, you know, Iraq uh, real world mission that we did that was no bullshit, you know. And I was jealous, man. Yeah, I watched that on TV. No shit. Yeah, I, I was I was jealous, dude. Like, and then you guys had like the black, yeah, the Charlie uh, Sheen. Fucking. Yeah, dude, that was <laughs> I was I was I was a hater. Yeah. I was like these guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, but, well, yeah, but you know, so the 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 crazy part about it was that um, 
it, it was just, you know, we had, we had practiced that fucking mission for six weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had, uh, we used stakes and, and twine and like mm-hmm. re recreated the length of it. Cause it was 1600 meters long. God, it took us almost eight hours to take the fucking thing down. And, oh my gosh. And, uh, so, you know, we had d- done nothing but, but close quarters combat and working, you know, room clearance and, and fast roping and, and, uh, and doing boat insertions and, mm-hmm. and hooking and climbing and, and just rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal. And, and to, to where it was like, we were working with an SDV platoon at the time, a little sealed delivery vehicle mm-hmm. uh, platoons, another platoon that was not from SEAL Team 3. And so there was 32 of us total that were working together. And we did it to the point where it was like autopilot. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we had done the same fucking thing so many times mm-hmm. to where it just, you know, it, it was... It was autopilot. It was, but you felt pretty cool, though. Like oh, you yeah. have to admit, yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I felt cool for you guys. Well, because it yeah. was it was like classic frogman shit. Yeah, it's like yeah. this, you know when you join the navy, it's like SEAL teams. Yeah. That's what they do. They do you yeah. know they take down oil tankers and fucking oil rigs, and and they're out on boats and and all this other shit. So, so yeah, sick. it was it was cool. But the 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 excerpt from here that really really reminded me of that and kind of struck home was was the following. I finally got my stuff together and ran toward the angle I was supposed to cover. As I was moving, I heard a loud pop. At first, it didn't register, but then I realized it was the flash grenades and bangers going off. I tried to picture what was taking place inside the building, but more than that, I was wishing I was inside there. I'd been told that nothing we did in training could really prepare you for the real thing. It was kind of like the difference between a practice and an actual game. Yes, you were told you should practice with the same intensity you bring to the game, but the violence of action they talked about didn't really compare. The thing that I noticed for, for me, at least, and I'm really curious to get your take is that when we stepped foot on that, that oil rig, you'd have thought we had never fucking done it before. You know, I mean, it it was literally, it was that chaotic and fucking awkward. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like all of the angles that it was just, it was a fucking abortion. Where are we at? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, bro. Yeah. I mean, and, and it just, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a fucking nightmare, you know, for a little while. Because again, I mean, we had done something so many times, like you, you can almost get to the point where I think you over rehearse it. And mm-hmm. now when you're throwing a curveball, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. It takes a few seconds to like, okay, let's do this now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like, was there, you know, other than that, that excerpt from the book, was there, was there a specific time where that really was like, holy shit, this yeah. is way different. Dude, my first time as a sniper team leader, planning a route using, you know, satellite imagery and stuff like that planning my route, which, you know, building I'm going to set up on and how I'm going to look at the objective and, you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh, looking at it from the overhead was, you know, fine. I was like, you know, I'm going to give my little speech. I'm going to walk here. Me and my team are going to go here and do this and do that. Um, and I'm going to lead out. Dude, when we landed, walking in was fine. It was a few click movement and that's fine. But once we hit like the town, everything changed. And especially when I had to take my team and split off and it was just me by myself and another guy. That's fucking dicey. Dude, that was the, I'm talking, bro. I had been, that was my sixth deployment. And you know, I've done, you know, I mean like a thousand, 800, something like that missions prior. But that day, my very first mission as a sniper team leader in Afghanistan, like less than 24 hours in country was Jeez, man. I'm not sure if I got lost 100%. I felt really, really lost. But I remember the guy behind me, Pemberton, I was like, well, I'm not going to let him know that I'm lost. So I'm just going to play this real cool and throw it up. And I'm going to pick a building and hope that it's right. You know, everything just looks so like it, it just didn't look 
the way I thought it would look. Uh, when you're in the leadership position, you look at things differently and mm -hmm. you don't want to mess up so much that it kind of throws you off your game, mm -hmm. you know? And once we got up on the rooftop and kind of settled in, I was like, okay, I'm doing it right. But it was really, really scary, man. Like walking past or walking through an alleyway and you see like gun portholes or a pile of something, you're like, oh my gosh, dude, pucker, your ass is puckered the entire time. Yeah. You know, something may blow up or whatever and making sure my guy's okay. And then the first time uh, that mission went flawlessly and then leading out extracting uh, was the first time I had to pull the trigger on a guy with a sniper rifle. And that was like, this is real life. I had killed, you know, quite a few guys prior to that, especially in Iraq as a machine gunner. But looking through a scope, man, was just like, that's more personal, right? Oh my gosh, dude. And these guys were, I, it, I don't know. It was just a weird feeling of, Hey, there are people right there acting really shady and watching their movement. And then, Hey, these guys mean business and then sending it. It was just a, a extreme slow motion. Like I felt the recoil sink in. Everything was just like slow motion. I heard the spring crack back and I could see the bullet. It was just a weird feeling, man. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I hope I did that right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, you know, to me, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when, when you say, whatever you do, don't look down. Like yeah. when you're in that leadership role, yeah. like it, you, you focus so hard on something that mm -hmm. like you focus too much and you yeah. end up fucking it up or, oh, yeah. or overthinking it. But you know, the other thing that, that I find uh, that surprises a lot of people is talking about Brent, you know, which we'll get into mm -hmm. why he, he replaced your, your first spotter. Uh, but you know, the, the excerpt goes like this. Brent had been deployed multiple times and he'd yet to fire on a human target. It just pointed out again, how unusual my experience had been, how much, trigger time Pemberton and I had had in such a short period. We were just six weeks shy of ending our hundred plus days rotation in country and Pemberton left with 14 confirmed kills. When I told Brent that he tipped back in his chair and whistled, Holy shit. And so, mm -hmm. you know, to me, and, and I know I've got a lot of teammates that I remember when we got back from Iraq, they're all fucking pissed cause we got to go and they, you know, and they didn't and whatever, but just that, that timing component, like looking at, at, at your career and, and the time that you spent there and the amount of shit that you did, like, could you have maximized the time any more than you did? Like, I, I don't no. know how you could have. No, dude. When I first got in, we were doing the 90 day de uh, deployments and per 90 days, we would average about 120 missions. And that's what I was used to, you know, that, that, that fast pace, but we were just in the right place, right time to where every deployment, except for one, um, like we didn't have any you know, we've had gunfights, but like massive amounts of like, you know, killing bad guys, mm -hmm. you know, it was, uh, but it was more like fucking bloodbath. Like oh, dude, it was, yeah, fucking big groups, man. Yeah. yeah. I remember like driving a striker one time and it was the weirdest firefight I've ever, you know, kind of almost the weirdest in this entrench, like trenches all over the place near this uh, Iraqi prison or, or jail or something like that. And we got ambushed. We were like, screw that, fuck that. The guys hopped out the strikers. And we had a really cool, solid team of guys who were in, you know, the Moog and all that, you know, uh, Mogadishu and guys who had went on to the GWAT, man. And those guys were just like fucking unreal, just monsters, bro. Scary guys, you know, mm -hmm. my guys, but just scary guys. And they, you know, put down the ramps and walk through these trenches, dude, just boom, boom. Just all, that's all you heard was just controlled pairs. And I remember watching a guy in a red, uh, a white man dress and he's running in front of my striker. And I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, pop open the hatch, dude. And I can hear on the radio that there's guys coming. So I was, I'm going to get M4 kill out of the striker. No one's done that. And I was smoking a, a red uh, uh, cowboy killer, uh, Marble Reds, man. And I was smoking that, flicked it. 
pulled up my M4 and I was so like into the moment. I pushed the magazine release opposed to the trigger, <laughs> and I was like, I'm tracking. Yeah, dude, I'm tracking this guy. And I remember just, dude, I was like, oh, I'm gonna lay this guy out and <laughs> clink, magazine drops, and I felt like, please, no one saw that. I had one round in there, and foom, luckily, bro, luckily, I had the you know peck two our LA five laser on him, and I hit him. Grab the magazine, put it back in, racked it, and then I just start like ga 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 just to make it seem like <laughs> no, you know. Oh, that's fucking great, man. That, you know, and again, that's one of those things where if all you do is watch Hollywood movies and you see like it, it, it doesn't go that way. Oh, I got so many stories of like I'm me, just like God damn it, dude. I look yeah. like a piece of shit the entire time, just like helmet crooked. <laughs> you know, it's nighttime. I'm like, I yeah. can't see anything, yeah. man. Fucking classic. Scared half the time. Yeah. Scared of heights. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, again, the luck of the draw that, that exists with, uh, you know, with, with guys on deployment, what they end up doing or not doing. I mean, I know guys, and mm-hmm. I know you do too, that go on an entire deployment, don't oh, yeah. do a fucking thing. Nothing. You know, just nothing. Like, and then other guys go and it's just, you know, like, they, literally like one rotation, dude. It's like, what happened? Yeah. The enemy just came out to play that time, yeah. man. Yep. That, and I think the intangibles of leadership play a play a yeah, big, big role time. too, but, um, mm-hmm. You know, so in terms of, of kind of the next, the next portion, which is, you know, really highlights the, the, the gist of what, what it is that you did there and, and why it was such a big deal, I think to me and, and what I want to portray to, to everybody listening right now is, is the, the pressure that, that you have on your shoulders when you're mm-hmm. doing what, what's considered a cold bore shot, mm-hmm. you know, which is right out of the gate. Like there's no warm up. You know, but it's not like you're just praying and spraying or you're, you know, putting down cover fire or whatever. I mean, you're behind glass. You can see guys' facial fucking oh, expressions. Yeah. And in one of the the excerpts from this, and this was during your, the longest day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mission, yep. the recce mission, which again, I'll, 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 I won't ruin the entire story for everybody that wants to read the book if you haven't, but um, it was a 740 meter shot. And, and uh, I just want to read this real quick. I sighted again and determined that the attacker was still approximately 740 meters away. I knew I didn't have a whole lot of time, so I couldn't pick out a specific location on his body. I squeezed the trigger and watched the bullet drop into his body. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to make contact, do something to keep him from firing that RPG, rocket-propelled grenade. It felt to me like it took forever for that bullet to impact him, but it did, and he went down in a heap with his face between his legs. This was the farthest shot for me to date. Watching the bullet's vapor trail travel to the target had me feeling serene. It took only less than a second before that 308 married itself into his body, but it felt like a lifetime. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I, I just fucking love about, about that excerpt is, number one, the, the totality of and the, and the enormity of, of what happened. And, and to, to build a little context for the listener is that you know, basically all hell is broken loose. You have a guy that's, that's getting ready to, to essentially set up on slash ambush Nick's teammates that are, that are fully engaged in, a, in an intense firefight. And he's getting ready to, to launch a rocket propelled grenade. And so Nick, his responsibility right now is essentially to, to take that man's life to save his comrades in arms. And you want to talk about fucking pressure. Let me tell you something like I, there isn't more pressure than exists in that because you you have one fucking shot Mm -hmm. you have a very very small window of time to execute Mm -hmm. that one shot and motherfucker it's 750 yards away you're you're breathing heavy you're dehydrated you're fucking scared and you know if you miss oh some of your guys are gonna fucking die oh yeah oh yeah 
Dude, yeah, we were. Tell me about that fucking feeling. That one was, um, I'm not even going to say it was supposed to happen. We were, uh, I decided to go out with the recce team. We were going after a high value target. And I kind of hyped myself up a little bit. I was like, oh, the recce guys had found out that I had killed a bunch of guys. They're like, hey, you're pretty good sniper. You want to roll with this? We're going after a high value target. And we have an incident where you may have to take like a thousand yard shot into a vehicle windshield. Can you do it on a moving vehicle? I was like, hell yeah. You know, probably not though. <laughs> I just got the lot no, of credit. No, yeah, you ain't got a lot of credit, <laughs> right? No, dude, I was just, I was like, you know, I can do it. And I just wanted to roll with these bearded guys in regiment, you know, uh, the, the recce guys. And we ended up meeting up with some uh, two five Marines, man. Um, they had, they would be getting ambushed every single morning uh, from a little village. And me being the, the cocky Navy SEAL wannabe, you know, it was Charlie Sheen that I want, you know, tried, bro. <laughs> I was like, I called the chain of command. I was like, hey, I want to do this sniper hide and help these Marines out. Uh, before this whole big mission we had going on kicked off, we were tracking some guy. We ended up finding him. Um, they were like, yeah, sure, go ahead and do it. So, dude, I put on a bandana type. That was like Rambo. <laughs> and we snuck out with these Marines who were by far like very traditional Carlos Hathcock with the ghillie suits and sneaking around, lock picking. And then we're doing all this stuff, snuck out the village and wait to around uh, as soon as the, the sun fell. Sneak out, we go and uh, gain access to this little house and clear it. That was pretty, that was ballsy, bro. Like, it was a, a small, it was me and my spotter, a communications guy, and then two or three Marines. And going inside this building, you know, by ourselves, I have an SR-25. Pemberton, my spotter, has a bolt action 300 wind mag, and we're going to clear this, you know, silent clear it, crack the door, go in. And I smoked about, I don't know, a pack or two of cigarettes, man, trying to stay awake. I'm counting, you know, blades of grass, doing anything. Then I'm just going through mathematical equations, just random, you know, like what's a thousand or 40 times 25.4 is a thousand sixteen, you know, and getting my mills and stuff like that and getting all the wind adjustments of where possibles could be. I knew there was going to be attack, uh, an attack early that morning. So we just waited all night. Uh, morning comes around and Humvees are coming out from the Marines and our guys are coming in uh, into this village because nothing had happened. It was just eerily quiet. And as soon as they start rolling in, little pop shots go off. 50 cows are going off at this time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where this stuff coming from? And I see a guy pop around a corner with an RPG and he's shouldering it. And there's a Humvee maybe 35, 40 meters away. And this thing is going to just hey, level this Humvee, blow it up. And I'm talking to my spot. I'm like, dude, do you got him? Do you got him? And everything's like really, you know, intense at that moment. So you have to calm that down and, you know, kind of just like everything's happening in, in very, very fast, rapid pace, but it kind of plays slow in your mind. And I had my dope in, I rechecked everything. I was like, I'm just going to send it. I kind of was, was like, I'm just going to send it, bro. And mellowed out. I called it mellowing out. It's become like a slab of meat behind a, a weapon and only your trigger finger works. And you just melt into the gun. Like, that's what I feel like. Like you're melting into it and you become one with it. And just like a perfect line or I can't describe it, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then this bullet comes out perfectly. I just feel the bullet, you know, and watching the vapor trail come out. And I, rem I specifically remember seeing it apex and I watched it kind of hit the wind. I was like, oh shit, I think I'm going to be off a little bit. It was like 0.5 mils or something like that. But then the wind caught it and it sunk right into the guy. I didn't really aim for anything. I just aimed at mass. It was a not a snapshot. It was a calculated shot, but it was just, oh shit, fast. And 
send it as calm as I could. And hitting him was just like, dude, that was a game changer, I think, for, I think, like, what I knew I could do at that point in time. I didn't necessarily think about saving. I didn't get too caught up on that. Like, after we got back, they had brought back the guy's sandals. And they're like, dude, you blew him out of his sandals, you know? That's and, fucking legit. Yeah. I had to keep those motherfuckers. Right? <laughs> we had to go. But uh, the other commander was like, we want to write you up for an award. But our side was like, no, don't do it. You know, no award or anything like that. It's just doing his job. And I was just like, no, don't worry about it, man. But cool story. Years later, when that book came out at Costco at a book signing, one of those Marines came up to the book signing. He was like, hey, I'm that guy in the Humvee you saved. No, I sure. was like, oh, my gosh, bro. And that was like the 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 only moment where I've actually like oh, wow, I saved a life. You know, it, it, I hate looking at it like that. Like, I don't think that I'm, I don't know, it's weird to say like saving a life. You know what I mean? I felt like I was just like, anybody would have done it for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand the, you know, the humility behind it, but you know, to me, I, you, you've got to look at it like that. And, and that's what really struck me about reading that was, it was two things was number one is that, you know, it, it's hard to, to rationalize that when it's a, a full blown, you know, yeah. multi gun fight tick that, you know, that just shits going on. Mm-hmm. But to me, the, the intimacy that exists between one, you know, one guy, one bullet, one mm-hmm. opponent, yeah. one target it, yeah. to me, the, the thing that I, that I, that I hope that the listeners can understand. Uh, and, and I would love for you to expound on if, if you even can, mm-hmm. Is just that level of pressure, I think, you know, to, to kind of take away something from from this in terms of how, you know, how you deal with pressure in your life. Number mm-hmm. one, realize like yeah. th- that's the fucking apex of, yeah. of, of pressure. But, you know, what 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 is it that, that you can, could, you know, recommend to them or tell them in terms of, of how you dealt with that and, and how you had the ability to suppress that level of pressure mm-hmm. under those circumstances in, in that time and, and, and give them something to, to work with? I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Man. Yeah. I mean, I beat myself up a lot, like as far as pressure, I think I'm maybe a little bit too, you know, too much of a critic on myself at some points in time. But uh, I think dealing with it is more or less just living in the moment and understanding like time, time and space, man. Just, uh, you know, the understanding of long term effects, short term, uh, short term effects, if you want to call it that, like taking a life. I'm not going to say I've ever enjoyed it. There were times where I always rode this like roller coaster of emotion and I knew I was going to hit that, you know, uh, in the snipers, you know, you say without warning, without remorse, but that remorse thing is, is hard to like kind of compartmentalize sometimes. So I'd ride this wave of, you know, excitement and then this remorseful stage of like, you know, I was a human person. It was a body, you know, it's kind of weird of, you know, watching a guy breathing and then just like nothing, just a sack of body, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would live, I knew I was going to hit that point again, but I looked at what was more important. I was like, you know, kind of, you know, shoot this guy, 
I know it's pressure, but I've been through one too many funerals and you know, I've seen moms and, and children cry, dude. Like that that's always hurt way more is when we get back from a deployment and then you have families come in and then you see and just hearing screams of moms and and, and wives and kids, bro, is like for me, I, I always wanted to like kind of shut that noise up. I don't like it was just hard to, to deal with. And I kind of took that overseas with me. And I was like, you know, if I have to kill whatever to prevent that from happening, it's kind of what I was, you know, striving to do is not coming back home and ending out my career or someone else's career and just hearing that, 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 that cry, man, it's a cry you'll never forget of, you know, of that feeling. And it's an emptiness, you know what I mean? And, And going back to your room, your barracks room or wherever you stay at night and, not having the guy that you were playing Xbox with the night before, or, hey, dude, let me borrow big tits porn, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's not there. I mean, I got his DVDs. Now but, you just take it. Yeah, I'll just take it. But it was like, it, the, the pressure and stuff was, um, I kind of felt more or less I was like I had to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That if, regardless of the pressure or anything, it was, um, I look back at Carlos Hathcock, where he, you know, he, he's one of my idols, man. He talks about living inside of a bubble. And he'd make this bubble around where only him and his gun existed. There was no, you know, nothing else. There was no emotion that could penetrate it. There was no nothing. It was just a void. And living inside that void kind of like negated all the pressure and stuff like that. It was what could go wrong inside this little bubble that I created. You know, if I created this bubble, you know, nothing can go wrong with it. I can kind of put what I want in there and I throw out all the negative stuff and then focus on exactly what needs to be done. It's just you and the rifle. And I, you know, apply that to, to life now. I have been through a lot of, you know, it's just as you have, man, like hard times or whatever. And I do look back at my military career and I say, you know, I've been through way worse or pressure, but just, I look at life now like differently, man. I was 20 something years old and I'm not even old now, you know, per se. But if you look at the average time of a human being, it's like 70 something years, dude. And, uh, what is pressure for, you know, a minute or two minutes or something like that, you know, five years from now, I'll look back at it and won't even be able to kind of conjure up that same exact emotion. I would have had something else that happened that is going to be way more, you know, impactful in my life. So I kind of just learned to, I guess, you know, compartmentalize different types of what's stressful and what's what's not stressful, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and what should I be stressed about right now? You know, if I miss you know, the worst that could happen is, is, is the guy would, you know, send off the AK round. But I also knew I was really good, too. Not really good, but I just, uh, yeah, you have to know who you are, man. Like, man's got to know his limitations. Yeah, you got to know your limitations, <laughs> but then you also have to, I have this mindset of like kind of cocky, but you just got to know, like, uh, no, you can, man. Like, I wasn't the, Carlos Hathcock or anything, but I knew that I'm determined. You know what I mean? And I don't think there's anything you can beat other than a, a, a determined individual. If you're, de- yeah, you're determined enough, and my determination was to kill, you know, bad people, and there's nothing that can stop that. You know, yeah. no guy with an RPG, no 50 mile an hour gust of wind. I'm gonna send it, and I'm gonna keep sending it. You know, like you're, that guy's gonna die. Um, that's kind of how I looked at it. The end result was always going to be the same for me. Yeah, however you, know? you got there. Yeah. However, if I had to run yeah. 740 meters and sprint and yeah. spear the guy, <laughs> dude, it. I would have loved to do that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's sage advice of, uh, you know, compartmentalizing and, and realizing that the pressure is temporary and very temporary and, yeah. uh, and working it that way. So that's, uh, that's good stuff. Um, moving into the next thing, I think, um, 
And I know I had a had a moment that really this is what triggered this excerpt for me was was the first time we ever actually killed a guy um, and were able to examine mm-hmm. him afterwards. For me, that was the light switch of like. Yeah. It, it was literally like getting slapped in the face like that could have just as easily been me laying there with them fucking poking Jeez, me with a yeah. stick. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know? And and to me, especially from a sniper standpoint, like this next excerpt, I, it, it, I'm assuming and it sounds like that was kind of a uh, kind of a similar moment for you. You say, I tried not to think too much about the Chechen, but in the mm-hmm. days that followed, I was still haunted by him. It's one thing to come under fire. That's a random act of violence. And it's what most of war is about. It's just some guy on the other side firing at you because your guys are firing at him. What I experienced was personal. Seeing sniper action from the other side made me realize how calculating the act actually was. Though neither of us had gone out there that day knowing we'd be targets ourselves, that was how it played out, for me especially. Lots of people think war is between armies and governments or between this platoon and that unit, but it really does sometimes come down to one guy with a gun and another guy with a gun. Oh yeah. You know, to me, just uh, to build some context for the listener that's not read the book, um, you know, if you could explain the, the Chechen, basically mm-hmm. a, another sniper on the other side that, that now all of a sudden Nick is faced with. And uh, it's just a, a fascinating fucking story. I love it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was leading right after that 740 yard shot, man. Um, packed up, we left, uh, planned out for this crazy big mission, going after a really, really high guy, uh, guy up in Afghanistan at the time. I was going on five days without sleep, uh, maybe about 45 minutes total, little cat naps here and there, um, little water. I didn't take, I might've had one bottle of water on that, that operation. Um, so we're walking out and I kind of had this feeling that something wasn't going to go right, especially when the sun started to rise. We never worked in the daytime. Everything was at night and we're walking broad daylight out in this open field, man. Uh, and I remember seeing this little divot in the ground and walk over it. And I look back at my spotter and the rest of the guys, I'm like, Hey, if anything goes bad, we're going to go back to this little hole right here and come to find out, you know, later that these little holes that we were diving in were fighting positions that they had pre dug out. We were just diving in their diving positions. I thought it was a weird little hole to be in the middle of nowhere. Sun comes up and then I start seeing that the, the community, the tribe or the village start to waken up. And I see a guy on a moped and he's riding up a road and they were setting up a blocking position, my recce and sniper team, while, you know, the platoon goes in and busts through doors and does their thing. And there's this guy coming around or coming around the bend on this dirt road on the moped. And I put my red dot laser, I'm laying inside the tall grass and I put my laser on him and I just circle it on his face. And then I circle it on his chest. I'm like, dude, you're going to get it here or there. And he stops, but I'll never forget his face of like, disgust like you motherfucker so you you saw him oh yeah Yeah. dude he was close man he was like less than 50 not the chechen this was just a random guy i say random but that entire village was you know a few hundred guys of bad you know and see he turns around he goes back and then i had my nods up and i was like you know what let me take my nods off a little bit and put them down and you know kind of poking up in the grass and i look at my team leader and i'm like hey man something's not right. And we see some guys out in the field, maybe a hundred yards in front of us, me and my spotter are looking at them and they're in a huddle formation. And it was like football. They're like, ready, break. They disperse. And I'm like, geez, man, this is, this is really, really weird. But I called up before that. I was like, Hey, can we smoke these guys? And like, do they have weapons? I was like, no, they don't have weapons, man. I should have lied. I really should have because those guys, you just, you can just tell man that body language, you know? 
and couldn't do it. And I was really upset. But then our team leader was like, you know what? Let's uh, let's get down. I got a bad feeling, too. Dude, right after he says that lawnmower, just grass is cut down and 360 ambush. Um, that was a, I was really I was about as scared as I ever been. We jump up and we start hightailing, dude. Just got my hand on my helmet and we're just running to that hole that I have found. We all dive in it. There's six of us, two guys. Let me see. There's medic guy. Well, there's two guys laying out. Four of us are inside this hole and we're all trying to fit in this small little hole, man. And you got brass raining down on you going inside. And dude, you're just in a 360 ambush. No idea where it's coming from. And I remember like saying, just let me get up and see. Let me get up and see climb over my the recce team leader's body, look up on a rooftop about 500 yards away, and I could see a machine gun nest setting up up there. So I start plucking those guys, I hit two of them, and whatever, they leave, uh, disperse. And then I remember like this single shot, man, just wow, just a, a crack. And but did, did you know the, the very first time you're like, I know that? Oh, yeah, yeah. the very first shot, it was it's different, and it was you could tell it was well-intended, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was like, whoa, and the, 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 the spacing between it, and just the, it was almost like you can hear his breath behind the bullet, you know, mm-hmm. like he's methodically going about it. And I screamed, I was like, dude, that's a sniper. So we got back down. And for three hours, man, it was my spotter. I'm looking at him. He had crawled out of the hole uh, a little bit because we had some guys about, you know, 100 yards getting really close. You could hear their footsteps at some point. He's got his 300 wind mag and I'm giving him holds and wind calls and stuff like that, looking this way and he's facing the opposite direction. He's like, Irv, I got a mover you know, and this far, I'm like, how fast is he moving? He's like, uh, two or three miles. And I was like, bro, hold point one, hold point two, send it. And you would just hear boom. And he's blowing dudes, dude, down, bro. I remember he shot one guy and his arm is just like, oh my gosh, it was beautiful for a bad guy. Yeah. And his friend tried to take off his turban and do a tourniquet on him and didn't work. <laughs> thanks bro, for playing. Right? Yeah, thanks for playing, man. This guy, it was, it was kind of funny the way he was wobbling off, but he was bad, man. And for three hours, I, you know, we're hearing this, just a pop, pop. And I look over at my spotter and dirt's just popping in front of his face. I'm like, bro, move. He's like, I can't. And I'm trying to get up and I held my head up. I talked to my team and I was like, bro, suppress a fire. We put our heads up and our helmets are almost touching and a bullet cracks right in between it. And I thought he's hit. I push off of him. He thinks I'm hit. And the medic's screaming. He's in a, he's just laying out in a star formation, just like, hugging ground bro as, as much as he could there's rounds popping next to their heads and stuff and anytime you would move like if you turn your head bro it would move the grass and he'd aim right there and send it and it's just like grass popping up cutting dude, is insane and i'm like are you good he's like yeah i'm good are you good we thought our heads were blown off and that went on for about three hours man and then they start closing in on us and uh, we're calling for air support we're calling for reinforcements the, the platoon the platoon they're in a big firefight there's guys throwing hand grenades painting picassos on trench embankments with you know uh, frag grenades man and um they're like no we can't come over there and get you guys we called them for air support no air support we couldn't have anything that, that would accept a 0.01 percent collateral damage so they were like no air support but we'll fly over some planes to try to scare them away and i was like man this is fucking dude i remember cussing out a battalion commander just like cussing him out motherfucked him bro it was like you don't want like you're not even fucking here we're dying you know it was dude when you start hearing you know footsteps batting on the ground and that it was insane and uh i remember thinking i was hallucinating or seeing a ufo i saw this flat object 
just start coming in. I was like, oh shit, it's fucking UFO. Get back to it. I look over again. I'm like, that's a B2 stealth bomber or whatever. It was the flat long ones, right? And it came over and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. It didn't do anything. They popped flares, (laughs) right? Cool story, bro. Yeah, cool story. (laughs) It just passed. It got quiet for like a second. Then it just got, you know, more intense. And they were like, hey, you got to fight your way out or whatever. And I remember the team leader, uh, he's in Delta now. Uh, he's like, I have a grenade and a frag grenade and I have a smoke grenade, you know? And I was like, well, I can pull the grenade. You know, I remember looking at my spotter, pounded his fist. And I was like, bro, tell my family that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a bitch. You know, I, I, <laughs> I was fucking swacking dudes, you know? Yeah. And he's like, no, bro, you're a good man. And uh, we gave our little goodbyes and stuff like that. They're coming in and like that the fire was just getting really accurate at this point. Um, I remember a few of the guys had bullet holes in their clothes and stuff like that, just like pass-throughs. I'm like, oh, this is this is it, man. And it just feeling empty. And like I thought I was good, but being I was so pissed off that like this guy had me on the receiving end of a scope. It was less, it, it was so fucked up, it felt like. Yeah. It was like, man, this is a fucked up way of fighting. I can't even see him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to do a snap bang theory and Using that, I'm like, oh, he's 500 meters away. I finally find a building, and then we're playing volleyball, bro, with like bullets. I'm sending it in the building that he's in, and he's shooting through a loophole back to, you know, backed away in the room with a, a blind. And he, you know, that went on for a few hours, man. And we finally decide we're gonna pull a gr- uh, pin on this grenade and end it because it, it was getting to that point. And um, he pulls it out, and then finally I look over my shoulder and I see. Ben Cop and uh, Eric Ennis and a few other guys from the machine gun team, like it looked like Roadrunner where they're kicking up dirt from the, uh, their feet and stuff and they're coming in with machine guns. And I could hear like spurts on the radio, like guys moving. It's a running gunfight. And I was like, who the fuck? It was a running gunfight. They're supposed to be over there. And small team was heading our way and they finally came in, bro. And that was just like, oh, just a, a, a breath of fresh air popped a smoke grenade, threw it out, and the wind blew it the opposite direction. So we're like, fuck, you know? We decide we're going to bound back. And I chose to stay with my spot. I'm like, hey, we're going to cover you guys. The rest of the four guys just start bounding back. And radio guys got like a 100-pound-plus rucksack with all these big batteries in it. And you see this guy. I felt so bad for him. They have to, like, buddy drag the rucksack. They were smoke, bro. And they start bounding back, and you can just see the bullets, and boom, boom, from the sniper. I'm like, zigzag, zigzag. And, bro, uh, it was our turn to go. All the smoke's freaking gone. So I was like, dude, this might sound kind of whatever, but I was like, I'm black. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm outrunning my spotter, bro. That was just a fact. And I didn't really feel bad about it. You know, I was yeah. like, bro, keep up. I remember telling him, I was like, fucking dude, Ben Johnson. Over yeah, there. I was like, bro, keep up, man. He was like, I'm good, I'm good. I was like, no, you're not. So I got up, bro, and I remember. Like, it felt like my feet never touched the ground. It was just running on clouds. And I think I was zigzagging. I'm not sure, but I just heard like, bing, 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 this like pops, pops. And then I looked over my shoulder and I see Pemberton. He's going down. I'm like, he's not hit. I don't think he's just dragging something. We finally make it back. And um, to that team, they laying down suppressive fire. I was like, who's got water? Who's got water? They gave us a bottle of water and I pounded half of it, gave it to my spotter and he pounded the rest of it. And, uh... We moved on from there, and the coolest shot that I took, I was kind of pissed off. I, I was like, hey, dude, come over here. I see another guy. He was popping around a corner, so I was like, I saw this on the TV show. 
And this is no bullshit. <laughs> I put my rifle over his shoulder and he's holding the rifle. We practiced it, you know, once or twice. I was like, I'm going to actually do this. And I got behind him and boom, I shot it. And he didn't have ear protection in. Oh, fuck. Yeah. But it was like, I was like, bro, I'm going to send it. I shot that guy and we started walking. Uh, I let us out. We hit this dog leg, bro. And then that's where vietnam happened it was like guys popping out of the ground with uh ak's and doing like control pairs very very organized man like 15 meters away 25 meters away and dive into this embankment you know, chest deep full of water and that's where it was just like saw a cop get hit then the blood running down the stream and then me turning to the pl and like talking to him and then you know Boom, his chest blowing open, and then my spotter sticking his finger inside that hole. And that's where I blacked out. It was not a blackout, it was just shock. Like, this is real life, man. You know, it's my last deployment, and this is where this is where it ends, bro. Um, yeah, that was a, that was an intense deployment, uh, very intense mission, too. Yeah. And that went on for almost a full day. I had like six rounds left, bro. I had 210 when I went in and left with like say we were smoking. We were smoking, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess the thing that that strikes me about that is, is kind of a two-part question uh, to follow up is number one is that just briefly if you could describe uh what what that felt like mm -hmm. to now be on the receiving end and then to, to yeah. dovetail onto that you know just using a little bit of reason that had to have helped you mm -hmm. helped you moving yeah. forward on follow-on missions Big in time. terms of knowing now what it's like to be in in respect the, the guys getting getting shot at shoes yeah. like what you know and that that's got to yeah. augment your tactics a little big bit. time big time um being in that position man it was like one of the most i imagine death right whatever you think death is how scary that is and then accepting it and then wanting it you know what i mean mm -hmm. like you're like i'm tired of it now like hurry up and get here you know i see it i've i feel it i can taste it and it's just kind of like prolonging it, it, it you know, prolonging it, 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 it stay. And then finally, I, I debated on sticking my hand up or standing up inside the trench just to end it all. And just accepting, I was just tired of, I was tired of it, of this guy being good and I couldn't see him. I was just frustrated and just the only way to end it was to die. Yeah. It felt like at the time and accepting that, that death, I didn't care anymore. It was just a, a empty, I was scared at first of death, but then it was just like a welcoming, like, hey, this is, may not be that bad. It's just quick, fast, and that's it. And, you know, but it was just, it went on for hours, bro, and just mentally fucked me so bad. Yeah, and to me, that's, that's an interesting component that you don't hear really almost ever. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I can say, you know, to me, the, the appreciation I have for your honesty with that, uh, in conjunction with, from my perspective, the balls that it takes to mm -hmm. admit something like that, that mm -hmm. I can tell you most fucking guys wouldn't, mm -hmm. that, that they, they had that defeatist mentality, even, you know, albeit care. for, for a brief time, you know, to me, it, it, it takes a, a lot to, to, to say that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to, and to be honest about that. And I, and I think, you know, again, you hear a lot of stories about how, uh, you know, not stories, but kind of a, a conception that, that a lot of people have a misconception mm -hmm. uh, that, that our society has of how cool and glorified and rambo like Dude, war is yeah. when the fucking reality of it is, is that, you know, experiences like that are a very common and they're yeah. B they're, they're fucking powerful and, and they're dangerous. Yeah. It's a life changing experience, man. I remember yeah, after accepting it and then just wanting to, to, you know, kind of die. But when I sunk down, after I saw the two guys get hit and I could taste the blood and, you know, it was just one of those things where, it was going to, we were going to die, you know, and, um, dragging out, you know, we we're 
pulling out cop and he's swimming. We're kind of swimming at this point. You know, he's going underwater and bringing him back up and we got bullets popping overhead. Dude, I'm cracking heads at like 25 meters away and just faces inside the scope and boom, the head goes away. And doing that over and over. But I remember crying, bro, like is is, you know, it was just uh, five days of basically no sleep. Then to pop, you know, top it off, you have a full day of just mayhem and death, no death, death, no death. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, just that emotional toll, man, of like talking to a guy, I pulled in my uh, platoon leader. Hey, sir, we have to boom, boom, you know, get over here to the safe haven. And, you know, I remember feeling like a splash of water and then just like heaviness. And I was like, what the hell? And then I looked down and it's like a hole in his chest and, you know, there's blood on my face. And I sunk down with him just in shock. And I remember tears come. I could feel like quietness and then tears, bro. And then uh, one of the recce guys, I think he was, he was the medic. He came over and he smacked me on my helmet. He was like, hey, motherfucker, let's go. Send it. You know, keep shooting. And I remember looking at the PL and he's on his radio. He's like, oh, I'm fucking hit. And he's checking on cop and the medic's putting on tourniquets and you know, floating in water. It was the craziest thing. His uh, medical bag is floating in the water and he's doing, you know, surgery on this guy. And he just looks over at the PL and he just goes, you know, like gives him that look and he's like, fuck it, let's leave, man. And it was just a, it was a life changing, how short life is, you know, this guy cop was supposed to go home. That was his last mission. They were leaving two weeks after that. And he was, you know, he was 21 years old, bro. And I remember his femoral artery when it hit, from the sniper, the sniper shot him. That was the guy who saved us. And he was, the sniper was smart, bro. He was aiming at snipers. He took out the radio guy, tried to take out the radio guy, took out the PL, and then took out the machine gunner. He was just working his way down the line, bro. And hearing the femoral artery pop and then him screaming for his mom and then watching arterial spray. It was like 20 feet and it was landing inside the grass where the enemy was at, just like, like a water hose, bro. And then the blood coming down the stream and stuff like that, that made me feel like I didn't do enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I beat myself up really, really bad. I was like, why the fuck did we turn right here? You know, I was tired. I was like, was it because I was tired? Was I just stupid? Was I not thinking or whatever? Am I not shooting enough? And then I felt like I wasn't shooting enough when I kind of blacked out, had that shock moment. Like, I'm fucking, I'm a bitch, you know, I'm a little bitch for not doing that. But then I got back up and start shooting more. And I remember once we start taking the bodies out, I volunteered again. I was like, Hey, I'm going to take up the rear. If anybody comes down this little embankment, I just hope they shoot me in the back because I was like, you know, they're going to come spray down the hole, which they were doing at certain times. And I was like, well, they're going to catch me in the back and you know, fuck it. I'm done. You know, mm -hmm. uh, make it about a few hundred meters or whatever to this little part where we have to cross and getting out soaked in water we're the first ones to get out. Me and my spotter are to go set up, uh, establish a sniper hire or whatever position on top of a, a building to, you know, fuck some dudes up. And I remember running across there, bro, just so waterlogged. And I was like, how do you seals do this? You know? <laughs> I love it. In boots and pants. Bro. And it was like a short distance. And then I remember the earth, dude, it felt like the earth was on like a water wave. Mm -hmm. This volume of fire from, you know, suppressive fire from our guys. It was almost like a love. It sounds weird, dude, but it's like, oh, wow, these guys love me, man, because the amount of fire they're putting, it was just a weird connection of like, yeah. they're protecting me, you know? Okay. It was the the trade-off of me usually doing the protective stuff and now yeah. they're doing it. It was like yeah. humbling a little bit. Yeah. A little angel swap. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it felt like that, dude. And 
they opened up with so much firepower, bro, that I went down. I was like, oh my gosh, hey, we're getting Take ambushed. Over the fucking hornet's nest. Yeah, dude. And yeah. my spotter looks back. He grabs me. He starts pulling. He's like, I'm not fucking hit. You know, I'm not hit, bro. Get off and get up and start running. He's like, oh, I thought you were hit, man. I was like, no. I thought we were getting shot at. Yeah. We make it across, get up on the rooftop, man. I looked at him and I was like, hey, we're killing every fucking bad guy out here. So we still on the rooftop, dude. And we were watching reinforcements come in and vans and little bongo trucks and stuff like that. And RPGs getting offloaded God damn. for as long as you could see. Our, my weapon maxed out and I couldn't hit guys and they were coming in, bro. And it's just sending them just swayland. Then we, I volunteered again to, I didn't want to, but being the rank that I was, I was like, you have to. And I, God, I did not want to, bro. But they were like, hey, we're going to run out. And we need someone, Irv, you're going to lead? I was like, oh my gosh, I have to lead this entire element over open terrain, a few hundred yards. Almost, dude, it was like half a mile. Yeah, almost like half a mile. The Marines wouldn't come in. We got the call. Uh, We were calling for reinforcements. And they had said, we won't go in that area with anything less than a brigade. And we're like, what the fuck? It's like 30 of us, you know, a brigade, no shit. There was just... It's a, it was like a few hundred, you know, enemy fighters out there and, um, they're like a brigade and I have to run or lead us out. I was like, well, fucking catch up. You know, I'm, I'm giving it all I got as fast as I ever ran, like half a mile. And we meet up with the Marines, bro. And there's this open, open run of just, it's like the Valley of death, bro. You know? And it was, it was, it was scary, man. And then we get there and there's not enough vehicles. So I'm laying in people's laps. We have guys like on top. Oh, I have a 50 cal machine gunner Marine, this big guy standing on my chest. And I was like, dude, just give me a cigarette, man. So he gave me a cigarette, bro, and smoked it. I tried to flick it out the hatch and then <laughs> sucked back in. And when I was like, oh, people thought oh, it, was, it was a crazy day, man. Crazy so, day. So I guess the the question I have is is twofold. Is number one is, you know, did you well, first, you know, once you guys left there, did they did you guys send in any any Christmas presents for, for them? Did, no. Did, or or did, it, did it just fucking... It just went away. It was like, I don't even know if we were we were supposed to... Uh, we had ended up tracking this guy, us and the recce team. And I don't even know, dude, to be honest with you, if we were supposed to even be there. It was like just a, a place where we probably could have used another platoon. Definitely. Did they level the compound once you guys no. got No, they didn't. Dude, so. it was just, we got our target. We got our high-value target, and, and that was all she wrote, man. God damn, that's fucking it disheartening. Sucked. But... Cool story. I was contracting a year later in Iraq and I called one of the guys. Um, it's a weird play of things that happened, dude. It was on the anniversary of when Ben Cop died, the guy who saved, you know, saved us. On the anniversary, I had tried to email one of my friends who was in sniper section and he didn't email me back. And I was like, I had this weird vibe, man, of something. So I ran, hopped on the phone. I called another guy from uh, the platoon. I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, Hey, I guess you heard. Right. And I was like, heard what? And he's like, fucking Santiago died. And I was like, what? The guy was just emailing. And I was like, Hey motherfucker, answer your email. And you know, that was it, man. Um, he died on the end of two influential, very influential people in my life died a year apart the exact same day, man. Was his the same killed in action? High, uh, high altitude fall oh, uh, in sure. Afghanistan, man. It was bad. God damn. Yeah, dude. Uh, solid, solid guy. Like the, you hear that a lot about no, this guy was a great. This guy was the father figure, like of sniper section. Older guy, he was the oldest, short, like, short guy of the picture yeah, in the book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thir- mid thirties. He was a uh, Chicago police officer before that. Like, dude, he was the guy I went to when I thought 
we had a bad day at work because we had to stay till six, uh, six at night. Mm-hmm. And he was like pulling us together, like guys, you know, yeah. we're shooting guns. You know, we could yeah. be, I, just, I didn't get it at the time. And dude, I mean, he's big influence in my life. And anyways, yeah, called back and, uh, I think it was the SAS bro. They ended up killing that Chechen guy. No that, shit. Yeah. So, but, but you do know they, they ended up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. And yeah, this guy had like, supposedly he was credited with a few hundred kills. He was fighting back with the, uh, the Soviet during the Soviet conflict. He was just a soldier for hire, yeah. but I remember seeing a flash of him and it was like a redheaded dude. And I was like, Hey, hey redhead guy, yeah, so, ginger. And yeah, I was like, there's a there's a there's a person with no soul out here, yeah. you know, sending it. And I was like, man, yeah, it was weird to see another like uh, redheaded guy out there. But I take that back. In Afghanistan, it was I was having a conversation with the black guy with dreadlocks, and he was a a fighter. Like we tried to smoke this guy. No he was a, yeah, he was a prisoner, and I was talking so much shit about this guy, bro. Like, <laughs> do you know where he was from? Yeah. Oh, he was from the States, man. Fucking, oh my gosh. Where was he from? Harlem. I want to say it was New York. Yeah. No I, fucking yeah, shit. dude. I want to say it was New York and we were talking shit. And I was like, I was saying probably stuff I shouldn't say around him. Yeah. And he said something in English and I remember my butt puckered. I was just like, oh shit, this guy knows exactly what I'm, what I'm saying. No and shit. I asked him like, I was like, Hey man, why do you, I say, why do you hate us? And he's like, well, you gave me this long spiel about the infidel and Allah and all this and that. And I was like, okay, I get that, whatever. But I was like, if I let you out right now and I gave you a gun, would you kill me? And he flat out said, he's like, yeah. I was like, after we just had this conversation, you would still kill me. He was like, yes. And that really like, that established that kind of that mindset that I had going in. It's that, you know, that mindset. Man. Yeah, and I think that's something for for our society that they largely misunderstand mm-hmm. uh, but fucking need to understand is that yeah. that evil that exists is not negotiable. Dude, it's real, man. And you it know. was, uh, yeah, you don't get a chance to see it in America where... I'm having a conversation and I gave him a Skittle. I told him it was like Tylenol. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was my thing, bro. I would give yeah, like Skittles. Skittles from the uh, MRE bags and stuff, old ones. But um, because I'm <laughs> keeping the good one. ones, bro. You already know yeah, those MREs, man. But um, yeah, asking him, would you still kill me? Was like the weirdest thing. It was just yeah. a, a, a normal, yeah. And with no emotion. Just, no emotion, yeah, bro. Textbook. Yeah. It, yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, it's fucking nuts, you know? And, but I had my uh, my words with them. After that kind of ticked me off a little bit, but I was like, well, bro, I was like, if I let you out, I bet you I'd kill you. It was just one yeah. of those like, what, what's the comeback for that? Yeah. It was an immature comeback, but I meant it. I was like, well, yeah. fuck you too. I'll kill you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like that was weird, man. Yeah. But it was weird. Yeah. And, and again, I think, you know, to me, the the takeaway that, that I hope people understand that if they're on the fence, which fuck, I hope you're not, but is that, uh, you know, that shit is real. It exists and, uh, and you're not going to... Uh, social justice warrior your fucking way out of that mentality so for for anybody that thinks that that you can you're fucking wrong and And dude we talked about religion and everything bro i was like yeah all that stuff yeah i was like yeah yep uh one of the things that that i found actually pretty humorous because i've been through the same shit and i know most military folks have is is the weird things that you think of when you see certain landscapes or oh yeah or things and, and this one, because I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give you the Aladdin story because that was, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pull my sensitivity fucking yeah. cloak off here for a second. Here we go. Aladdin was my favorite fucking Disney movie. What you too? Fucking yeah. loved that yeah. shit. Yeah, dude, I watched it last month. Well, Jasmine was hot, so oh my she gosh. still is. She's timeless, right? Yes. But, but uh, you know, so Ariel too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the uh, 
but the, the thing that struck me and, and again like I, I whether it's even stateside being in the desert or the jungle like you find yourself in these in these positions and, and landscapes and situations that that are fucking surreal mm -hmm. you know that like your mind couldn't make up in yeah. a dream and, and you're sitting here looking at them and, and it fucks with your head a little bit it's and, like and, why are we fighting here yeah, yeah. It, but but it also makes you think weird shit sometimes mm -hmm. and i know like during hell week especially like all, oh, yeah. most of us hallucinate and see weird shit yeah. but but uh, I, I just thought this was fucking cool was I looked across the moonlit desert landscape. I thought this looks like a scene from Aladdin. I wish that Pemberton and I, his spotter, and I could just ride a magic carpet to our objective. Mm -hmm. The thought of that image was so ridiculous to me that I started to laugh. Pemberton looked at me with a puzzled expression. I managed to stifle my giggle and I said, I can't even tell you right now what's going on in my head. Yeah. You know, you know, to me, the, the, the thing that, that again, I, I've found myself in, in a similar position and again, I think that's something that would uh, would fascinate a lot of people is that is that some of those environments, you know, it's such a, a, a dichotomy between, you know, two just incredibly contrasting oppositions uh, between just absolute fucking chaotic mayhem that, that honestly, you, you know, you, you couldn't make up mm -hmm. uh, that, that's so stressful. It's so chaotic. It's so violent. It's so f just fucking God awful. Mm -hmm. And then 30 seconds later, it's one of the most beautiful, yeah. serene fucking landscapes you've ever seen or even, yeah. even thought you. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Could imagine in yeah. your life. Dude, yeah. You know, and, and it fucks with you sometimes. I remember thinking, well, during that day, I was just tired of walking too. And, you know, I'm sure you can probably elaborate how it is to run in sand or walk in sand yeah, it sucks away from it <laughs> bro and th that was my first encounter of like walking a long distance in sand that would give away too yeah. you know it's just a constant fight with all that gear on and i look around it's like the, the sand dunes and the way the moonlight was hitting the the, the sand and the the twilight the nautical twilight i was like man this is a this is it looked exactly like yeah it looked like aladdin mm -hmm. and i was like you know i was imagining me and pemberton on this purple magic carpet with golden hands yeah with golden tassels not I'll, to butt yeah, not to butt <laughs> and just getting there with our sniper rifles man yeah. and it was a few times where you look around and you're like wow this could be a good tourist attraction place yeah. too if there wasn't you know guys with rpgs and AKs. <laughs> a bunch of fucking hell-bent fucking yeah. religious assholes yeah. Speaking of weird shit and religious assholes, uh, you'll get this segue here in a second. Some some more weird shit. And this is one of those things where our society again. Are you? I think I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but the thing that that again that the savagery that exists in, in this fucking region um, is nastiness. something that that uh, you know people again they they can't wrap their minds around and and not to get too far on a tangent in politics here, but for the love of fuck, trying to import this. Mm -hmm. is mind numbing and and mm -hmm. it's generally only the people like nick and i and and the select others that uh, that have stared that in the fucking face and mm -hmm. and seen things like i'm about to ex describe but mm -hmm. you know that that is something that's that's ingrained in them it's 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 bred in terms of of you know from from day one mm -hmm. and, and being you know totally immersed 
in this type of, of societal fucking sickness mm-hmm. that exists over there that, that no different than all of the things that make our society and culture what it is from a, a heritage and, and uh, you know, tradition standpoint is it's the same. But now this is some whole next level twisted shit. And, and uh, mm-hmm. here it goes. And, and again, just to build some context, they went on a raid uh, on a mission and uh, and came across a group of, of naked naked men that were all in a fucking man pile on mm-hmm. Jack Off Thursday, which I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let the readers talk about or learn. But Galloway shone his light between the legs of one of the guys they had to pull apart from one another. Mm-hmm. What looked like saran wrap and a shoelace tied in a bow knot was still saran- surrounding one guy's junk. I'm out of here. Not touching none of them. We'd had enough. We had our paper and digital documentation. Everyone agreed that that was sufficient. Dude. So. You know, by all means, expound on that. But it, it, you know, the the goat fuckery and the and the savagery and the sick, twisted fucking shit that that these people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, enact on one another. Whether it's you know old men with young boys, or uh, you know child wives, or you mm-hmm. know man piles of fucking you know stuff like this that it goes way beyond the the scope of a, of a fetish. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a lifestyle. You know, tell me, tell tell me what that experience is like. Yeah, man, we used to have um, we used to have. Uh, these guys also uh, living on our compound with us, uh, the Afghans, at certain points in time. And every Thursday, they'd have Man Love. We called it Man Love Thursday. We need where, to bring that back. Right? Uh, right? <laughs> hey, it's oh, Thursday. Man, is it? It no, is. It's Wednesday, but you, you yeah. stick around an extra day, we'll make it. Dude, it was Man Love Thursday. No one, I don't think we put two and two together. I was used to seeing it, you know, walking around and, and working with them. Like, you'd give a mission brief, and you'd see one guy just fondling another guy's dick like during a mission brief or mm-hmm. debrief or something who doesn't do yeah that? it was weird and walking dude i was walking down from the uh, bathroom one time in afghanistan and i see this guy with long hair and he's like feminine style body bro and he's like grinning me up and i'm like dude you've wa- been a long deployment he, uh, <laughs> i was like bro i got a nine mil and this is how could i justify this one you know i'm not you can get raped over there, like yeah. literally, bro. That's no, no shit. And we went on this mission, and it was like really thick foliage. Uh, lit these guys up. It was a pretty cool one. And things started getting weird, especially when we saw ducks in a row of naked men. It's like three guys or something. And I watched the, you know, we uh, we had a little blocking position. They're coming out of wood line, and they just get laid out, bro. And there's also another pile of them. Like they were having an orgy underneath a canopy. And on the imagery from satellite or the uh, drone imagery, bro, it just looked like a heat pile, maybe like a blanket or something. But with your naked eye, it was a mass pile of men with saran wrap, like wrapped around their junk and then bow tie, petitely, nicely bow tied, like (laughs) condoms, dude. And pulling these guys apart, it was the most disgusting, like, who does that? You know what I mean? I it was it was it was just nasty. It smelled like shit everywhere, bro. It was just <laughs> poop dick. It was nasty, bro. Nasty. Yeah, I mean some of the shit you run into. I know, you know, I've been all over the fucking place. I know you have. I mean, whether it's mm-hmm. the Philippines, Southeast Asia, fucking Hong Kong, I mean, you name it. Obviously societies are what they are and cultures uh you know beget uh you know differences and, and contrast from from what we have here. But I still think there's a 
you know, when you, when you look at the savagery that exists, especially when it comes to, you know, to me, the, the you know, whatever, that, that's some weird shit, mm-hmm. uh, but it, at least it's all adults. You know, the problem yeah. that I have with that fucking exactly. place is, is when you're talking about little kids, man, nine year old girls with, you know, 40 year old men and, yeah. and, and shit like that, where, mm-hmm. you know, to me, consensual is consensual. If 10 fucking grown men want to, want to have yeah. a man pile fucking yeah. you know that's that's your business yeah. and, and whatever but yeah but you know what the, the problem that just don't use saran wrap <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> don't be so neat about the don't fucking so, bow tie yeah let's yeah, use some duct tape yeah. um, you know but you know the, the whether it's animals i mean i know goats are a big mm-hmm. fucking problem i've and, seen that yeah you yeah. know it's just like that shit isn't fucking normal Mm-mm. you know and when you're talking about non-consensual with fucking children that's where you know i know some of our guys have gotten into fucking trouble beating guys asses oh bro fucking smoking it you know right place right time going back to that we were in i think it was my second deployment to yeah second deployment to iraq we were in mosul going after this guy called the vampire um Dude, he was like drinking kids' blood, Jesus you know, fuck. cutting them up. It was like slaughtering kids. That was his thing of, you know, kids, man. Golly, he got he got his, man. He got his. Oh, fucking, that's good to hear. I mean, the fact that that's what, what our guys run into is just... You know, Unreal, bro. To me, the, the, the irony of it is that, you know, to deal with shit like that and then come home and... And hear the semantics that mm-hmm. takes place in our society of some of the shit that people argue about. It's mm-hmm. fucking mind numbing. But yes, it is, man. But uh, and you know those are some some tough decisions. Which uh, you know what do you do in those in those scenarios? Obviously, their society is different. But here mm-hmm. here's another kind of example in the next excerpt that that I find is something that again a lot of society struggles with knowing. Um, but it's also it's one of those things where damned if you do, damned if you don't. But but it's a it's a tough decision that our guys are faced with over and over and over and uh, and I hope that the the listener can uh, can appreciate that. Once in Iraq, one of my buddies had had to shoot an older woman. It wasn't a case of mistaken identity. He knew what he was doing, but he had no choice. He saw her inside a building, moving around with several AK-47s going in and out of several rooms. We were taking heavy fire and she got killed. What's worse, we took several captives, and one of the guys confessed to being her son. Mm -hmm. He told the interrogators that he was the one who was supposed to be helping supply the shooters, but he had asked her to do it, figuring that we wouldn't shoot her. He'd been hiding inside the house, under a bed, while his mom did his job for him. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, that, that, you know, really encapsulates just the, A, the shitbaggery that exists over there with people using, you know, their moms and Mm -hmm. and fucking children as shields. But again, you know, when, when it's, hey, I've got to make a decision between an old woman shuttling AKs and my fucking buddies, like, that's not a decision. She's, she's got to go. Yeah. Dude, it was a, that was a weird one, man. Like, uh, that happened a couple of times, too. Um, it, it, it's one of those things that you don't ever want to do it. Like, I don't ever, no one's ever gone overseas like, oh, I'm going to kill women and children. Hell no. That's like the last thing, you know, I've watched guys not do it and bad things happen. Yeah. It's just a hard thing to do for some people. Especially, yeah, it just is for any time. Um, but it, it's a disgusting mindset to give your mom, bro. Like, of all people, your mom. You know, I can't even fathom that. Yeah. Give my mom a something to get her in trouble or potentially killed. It's like, what kind of, you're not even a man. I can't even call you a man at that point. You're just a. Yeah, I mean, because to, to use that logic is bullshit. Right? You know, I, I mean, can't even think of it. Yeah, I mean, because it's like, why well, I didn't think you'd shoot her. Like, motherfucker, you, yeah. you shouldn't have put her in that position for them to even be, you know, be the ones making that call, you know? And and, and to me, that really highlights mm-hmm. just the the nastiness and the, and the, 
you know, the, the, the depth at which the evil that exists that, that, that our guys face day in, day out that, yeah. that's there. And, and that's, that's some tough shit to fucking deal with. Oh yeah. Um, obviously, you know, with what I do for a living with canines, there's a, you know, the, the dog in the, in the book, Bruno, I, dogs. I know that, yeah. uh, you know, we, you checked out the kennel and, and saw the, the heat. Those though, had. those dogs, <laughs> if anyone, yeah, those dogs are not even, those are little cerebruses. Man. Yeah. I was going to say that little demonic things, man. Yeah. They're, Gosh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a, a good welcoming committee here at the Trico's oh, yeah. Warrior Dog Show, but they'll pucker you up, man. But, uh, but you know, the, one of the neat things, uh, you know, seeing seeing some of the the stories about Bruno and his handler Val, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you worked with multiple uh, different dogs in your career, but one of the things that I find neat, and, and I'm going to make a, a correlation between some of the some of the training we do here with with what happened on this story, but mm-hmm. a little bit of context is that they had done a raid, uh, shit kind of went south couple of guys took off running and uh and the handler sent the dog in after him and halfway there they call in fucking close air support which is a plane coming overhead getting ready to you know drop bombs like hiroshima on fucking on these guys that the dog is chasing after and so of course handler and, and the guys that knew what was happening were freaking out but mm-hmm. uh but I'll, I'll read it for you atkins had called in for ac-130 asking for 105 millimeter howitzer shells to be dropped on all the targets we'd been engaging the pilots confirmed three targets they'd gotten out of our easy firing range and brent and i just shook our heads letting the other guys know that we wouldn't be able to get a good calculation on them at that distance and at the speed that they were going the pilots confirmed again there are three targets three i asked brent i've only got two you two Then it hit us. The dog was still in pursuit. Before we could say anything, I heard Atkins say, Acknowledge, you're clear to engage. My heart was in my throat. Sergeant Val, the dog's handler, had joined us at the edge of that opening, the gap in the rocks, and his expression said it all. He'd heard the order and he knew that his dog was done for. He kept licking his lips and his eyes were darting all around, and I knew he wanted to do something. We all did. But there was nothing we could do at that point. We could hear the bombs whistling down and the handler yelled, you're going to kill him. What the fuck? I was feeling this complicated mixture of emotions and responses. I was in awe of the fact that we could call in an attack like that. An AC-130 gunship flying thousands of feet in the air, hundreds of miles an hour, could pinpoint those small targets and drop bombs on them. On the other hand of the spectrum, we had a dog whose trainer, who had enhanced his natural courage and loyalty, They were meeting in that place, and I hated the idea of that dog losing his life. We all did. I couldn't believe what I saw the next moment. The dog, Bruno, was still running out after all those shooters. Instead of taking a straight line, though, it was as if he could hear the direction of the bombs were coming in from and calculated where they would impact. He was weaving while these small explosions were kicking up dirt all around him. When Bruno heard Sergeant Val call his name and give him the recall command, he put on the brakes, turned around, and made his way back toward us. That was insane to see, bro. Like, I remember, like, that ambush when it started off was, I didn't want to go up to the front. It was Brent's idea. And he kind of pissed, not pissed me off. It was just like, dude, it's my last deployment, and we're running low on time, and you want to go up to the front? Like, we were getting you know, tracer rounds coming down this little alleyway, and then the dogs climbing over the backs and going to go chase these uh, these targets, man, these squirters. And watching them go out, we're looking through the scope and watching them go out, but when Looking back at Val and his face, man, it was just like his kid almost. You know what I mean? It was just like you could see it in his face that he was worried or, you know, that concern. And when he gave that command, I forget what it was, whatever the – it was a German command. And, dude, that dog like – 
perked up and started coming back. But we're like, oh, you can hear like the all that going on. And this dog is, just I don't know, bro, chucking and jiving, going, and dude. And just in and out, in and out, weaving, weaving this like, it was a, a thing to see. But he was so, that dog was so like, I'm not sure if dogs have like facial features, but he kind of did. It was like, I got this, you know, like get your camera. This is slow-mo moment, you know? <laughs> it was like that, man. But once he once he came back, it was just that unite thing of the owner and dude, that dog was like a uh, fucking Baywatch seeing him running all It slow-mo. was, yeah. It was like slow-mo <laughs> and his tongue all out and yeah. dude, it was it was cool to see, man. But you know, the neat thing about that is that, you know, number one, yes, the you know, the the facial um you know, not features, but the, you know, kind of the, the expressions mm-hmm. that they have on their face are, are very real. And dogs are incredibly intuitive, especially, you know, more cognitive breeds such as Malinois and Shepherds, et cetera. But something as, as simple as, 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 you know, something I've been fascinated about, and I've heard similar stories, um, you know, of, of these dogs overseas, you know, kind of being able to weave and in, in mm-hmm. whether it's 40 millimeter, you know, grenades or, um, or actual close air support or whatever, you know, this happens pretty regularly. And, mm-hmm. Something as simple as just playing with a with a chuck it ball, playing fetch with the dogs, like you you know. There's times, and I know anybody else out there. I've got a big you know dog following, but and I know you guys have seen this too. Is you know you launch that that chuck it ball, and and they're running at a full tilt, and they know where that fucking ball's going. Ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you know over. Yeah. I mean, you you see it a lot. Some dogs are better at it than others, but um, but you routinely see that where it's like, how the fuck does he? Yeah, know where it's they going? have a sport like that too, don't they? Where they jump off the. Into the water or whatever. Yeah, dock diving, yeah. Yeah, don't they do it that way too, or is that more? Well, I mean, it, it's baited so that they've got ah. like a you know a little uh, hanging fucking toy that the dog and they either throw it or it's it's way the fuck out there and they've got to grab it. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just you know it's fascinating some of the you know some of the uh, the genetic components that these dogs possess. That it's gives insane. Them the ability to do that it's pretty fucking wild. But they save lives, man, big time. Yeah, huge respect. I think those dogs uh, they need more credit, more something dude like the way we get you know what i mean yeah. they dude, i've seen uh, especially yeah the chico and and not so much voodan that dog was possessed bro yeah. like voodan was just a devil dog yeah but chico i slept with chico one time i was yeah. sad after not i'm gonna say i was sad but it was a bad day bad deployment yeah you know shit shit happened and lost a guy dude i was like feeling down man and the dog handler was like hey sleep you know i slept with chico man and chico that was my boy man like if I could have taken him back after he got shot, he also got he got shot during an ambush. He saved, uh, helped save the fire team, man. And being shot with an AK, he was still like, he was freaking out, but he was still searching for targets, you know? He jumped on one guy. Um, we had two guys get hit, and one in the helmet, one in the night, uh, night vision. I'm hitting a few guys. Uh, Chico's biting a few. And then he gets shot, then he takes off. He does this like little run thing in an open field, confused maybe or something. And mm-hmm. then he locks back on and then he like kind of like drained out. So we had to carry him and, you know, watching that bond between that dog handler did not want anyone else to carry his dog out. We walked yeah. for like four clicks, bro. And he's just carried him the whole fucking time, whole way to wading did through water and everything. It? Oh, yeah. Nice. He went, he came back to work. I want to say a few weeks later, man. Yeah. But every day, dude, it was, uh, you know, after every mission, I'd go in there and say, what's up, man, in his little cage. And the owner would kind of get pissed because <laughs> I was a little too friendly with him. Yeah. And, you know. It's like eyeballing his girl, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, hey, Irv, you know, calm down, man. But, dude, that was, he was like my, 
that dog was the only dog I could like show emotion with. Like, yeah. you know, you can't do it with the guys so much, but with mm-hmm. the dog, you kind of get that childhood oh, yeah. eh, hug thing going. And yeah, yeah, I mean, to me, that's one of the things I get asked a lot, you know, in the, you know, speaking events and, and different things that I do, you know, from kind of the general public. And, and one of the things that I think gets, gets a little uh, under realized and appreciated is in an environment where, you know, chaos is the norm, um, you know, and, and violence is, is, is part of your daily routine and just the, the chaos that exists, uh, you know, from a stress standpoint is that, you know, most people from, from, you know, our side of the pond grew up with dogs or had buddies that had dogs, you know, it's, it's a very American societal norm that, that, you know, is, is very, very valuable over there that, that provides a kind of a slice of home Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, gives comfort to a lot of guys and, and, and that, that element, I think, again, gets uh, doesn't get enough appreciation no. uh, or realization at a minimum. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic component that these dogs bring above heroes, and beyond just, heroes. just you know saving guys' lives. But um, transitioning into kind of the, the last element of the book that I want to talk about, that uh, there's there's two different excerpts that I want to read, just uh, you know, in in succession. That, that really highlight some of the the morality that exists in terms of big picture shit as to why we're there, if we should mm-hmm. be there, you know, how, how that makes you feel and, and some of the inner workings and, and intricacies of, of the funding of, of uh, the, the, the assholes, if you will. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm going to read just two oh, back yeah. to back. Yeah. We had a terrorism specialist as part of our unit and he was the one who told us about the 98% and heroin connection. Mm-hmm. I have to admit that pissed me off a bit. I was out there laying my life on the line along with all the other guys, and I believe that I was defending my country. Yet some of the people I was defending were buying an illegal drug that was in turn helping to buy the weapons these guys were using to try to kill me. Mm-hmm. You know, that that highlights, uh, you know, really the kind of the next the next component of uh, of the excerpt, which is to say that I was starting to feel disillusioned is pretty accurate. I still believe that we were doing the right thing by being there and taking on these forces, but the toll was climbing. I'd lost some good friends, and I knew that it wasn't just the fact that my resistance was low due to the food poisoning that had me thinking that we were there and some rotting away in the, in the country. I'd felt the same way in Iraq, and had begun to question why we were putting in so much blood, sweat, and tears in a place where people didn't seem to want our help or care that we were losing lives in the process. I think that for most of us, you could only go out there and put your head down and just do your job and not question anything for so long. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, for me, again, even with the with the backdrop and the context of nine eleven and, and what that meant to us as a country, and and uh, you know, kind of the the payback and and you know retribution that we wanted to enact on on that country on that group as it is al-qaeda the taliban uh, etc even with that and i know you know i've got a, a ton of friends that that uh, that i've lost uh, in a number of theater of operations but i i find myself struggling with the same thing of thinking you know some of these guys are some of the greatest men that this fucking planet has ever produced yeah yeah and then there's not a single goddamn one of them that their life just by themselves is worth that entire fucking country, in my opinion. Mm-mm. And and to 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 go out there and do that day in, day out and try to fucking rationalize, the, you know, losing these guys, what it means to us as a country, uh, you know, from a 
you know, from a, from a, not even a tradition standpoint, but from a, you know, a putting it back into our population, like these guys are integral parts of communities that are, yeah. that, that, that are the type of men that, that need to be having children that need to be, you know, mentoring people that need to set fucking examples and they're losing their life for these fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not get disillusioned, I, I think, you know, you'd have to have your head up your ass, but what I'd love to hear you uh, expound on is, is how you were able to, to do that day in, day out, seeing guys lose their lives, almost getting killed yourself, mm-hmm. getting fucking shot. You know, how, how did you wrap your mind around that? And, and what, what did you do to just fucking pony up and, and get after it and grind on? Dude, I kept it simple, man. I, I looked around the guys around me, all the guys who I looked up to, the, the remainders, my, my leadership and, and guys who had been doing it for a long time, like, you know, guys who had 14 deployments, 10 deployments. And, you know, I'd ask them, how did you guys do? Or what, what keeps you guys going? And it's the same thing. The guys next to you, the guys next to you. As cliche as that sounds or as movie as that sounds, it, it's the, the fear of letting someone else down. You know, that's, like, that, that's worse than missing a shot. That's worse than anything to me is letting another person down that, you know, looks up to you or relies on you or looks at you as a friend or a, a, a somebody in their life. You know, to let that person down, it, it, it's, it's one of the most painful Painful feelings, I think, that I would, you know, uh, anybody could ever endure. A guy like us, or guys like us, for that matter, is you put in all this training with your team and, you know, you build this bond. And if you don't do your job, you kind of let someone down, you know, it kind of throws up the the entire mission. And that's what kind of kept me going, man. It's ignoring the physical pain or the mental pain that I had to not necessarily impress the guys, but to... I felt like Robin amongst Batman, you mm-hmm. know, and you don't want, you don't want to be Robin for too long. You know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of want to evolve a little bit and, you know, make it to that Batman stage and whatever I thought that it would take to make me into a Batman or be looked at like uh, a, a good guy or whatever uh, in their eyes, man, is what I did. So a, a lot of that was just ignoring, you know, emotional uh, pain. It was only like, there was one time where it got to the point where I, I didn't have anybody to, uh, to talk to. So I went outside behind my, my chew, my little building, and I used one of the, our FBI guys or whatever. He was there. Uh, his cell phone or a Iridium, Iridium phone. Yeah. Satellite phone. And I called my dad, but I waited for the F-16s to, uh, to start taking off to kind of mask the... I knew I was going to ball out cry, you know? And it was a... You know, I lost... Uh, you know, the guy who saved my life and, you know, he fought to stay alive for seven days and then like, and, you know, finally died, dude. It was like very, very emotional. And I didn't have, you know, anybody to really go to at that point. So, uh, you know, called my dad and I didn't say much. I just, you know, let it out for a little bit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And before that, prior to that, it was just bundled up, bundled up, you know, whatever you want to call it. I would use that to you know, go out and fight the next day and just keep doing that, keep doing that. But it was getting to the point that deployment, dude, where it was just like, it was too much, not, not too much. I mean, maybe it was the way I grew up. I'm not sure what it was, but I think that, I don't know, maybe I didn't hide it good enough or something like that. You know what I mean? Maybe some guys just hide it better or whatever, but. Well, I mean, to me, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like suppression was your best friend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and to me, the, the next excerpt, which is the last one I'm going to pull for the book before we start talking about uh, porn and and some other stuff. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, 
is the is is both suppression and detachment that I find mm-hmm. as being a, a reoccurring theme, and that um, you know, number one, it's it's a, a reoccurring theme of of feeling that responsibility for your guys, especially now as a team leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, removing yourself from the equation in conjunction with suppressing it, and, and the excerpt goes like this: We were almost to a man video game guys, so it felt natural to us to see that kind of violent action rendered on a screen. As time went on, I had less interest in watching those videos, but I still did it. We had the regulation AARs, after-action reports, to do. Then Pemberton and I had our own version of them to do. As the amount of violence we saw and participated in increased, the more important those unofficial reviews became. At least for me, they did. I'd done the killing. While I watched them on screen, it was that guy, the one in the video, not me, who was now responsible for those deaths. Mm-hmm. To me, like what I find so remarkably fascinating about that is is your ability to to watch, and, and for those of you listening that are you know a little bit lost on on the context, is that you know the after action report, which is where these guys after a mission they've got all the you know the the footage, uh, video footage, if you will, of of these operations and and. You know, for your ability to to watch that and 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 compartmentalize that, make it's that like a dis- movie, yeah, and make that distinction of just saying, you know, what that it's that guy, it's not me. Like, yeah, yeah. W- did that play an integral role in, in your ability to to kind of live with it and help suppress it, or big time? And I think it stems from like my dad, the way he would teach me to deal with pain. It was um, he was in a he was a tough guy. His dad was his dad or his dad died when he was in the sixth grade, but his dad was very abusive. You know, used to beat up his mom and for fun would beat up the kids, you know, um, one of those dads. And he vowed to never be that way. But some of the mentality of just being tough and hard kind of stuck around. So crying for me and and if I fell down or scraped my knee or, you know, did whatever, it was more or less like I'd have to, when I wasn't allowed to cry, but I had to go inflict pain on whatever inflict the pain on me. So if I fell on the ground and I tried to run over to my dad, he'd grab me and we'd walk back over to the spot where I fell and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he did that with me a lot. And it was just like that learning to compartmentalize that way, I think is where it stemmed from, but then watching it on, like I've never saw, I never saw myself as a a badass superhero or anything like that. I was just a a regular guy with a, a dream of, I wanted to do what Charlie Sheen did, you know, and that's as far as it really ever gotten to see it happening, you know, or doing what I was doing, it was like watching what I had, you know, dreamed about doing or what the other guys did before me. It was just like, wow, that guy, it was always like in reference to that guy, yeah. you know, man, that guy, you know, is, I like that, you yeah. know, like I'm scared of heights, but watching myself, you know, on footage fast rope and, and stuff like that, it's just like, I did that. You know yeah. what I mean? That's not even me. Yeah. You know? But yeah. You know, and that, uh, that ability to make that distinction, I think, uh, you know, plays a huge role in guys, just the ability to, to even be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's helped out a lot in the long run though. I think, you know, being able to, to see what's there and what's not there, I think. And then diving into the whole scientific world of, you know, do you believe in quantum? Well, of course the quantum physics is real, but if, you know, if, if you look at something, it's there. If you don't, it's, wherever it can be, wherever it can be. If look at the single slit, double slit uh, theory in quantum physics, where a single photon of light particle goes through one slit of, you know, something and it 
shows that image on the back end, two slits, and you see a whole bunch of images. And there's this theory of, imagine a plane taking off and landing at the same exact time. That's quantum physics. And you know, I just believe in if I look at something and if I believe it, then it's there. If I kind of ignore it, then it's not. So the whole killing thing and everything like that was just uh, a detachment of, eh, you know, it's it's yeah. not real or yeah. kind of sort of. I knew it was real because I would feel it in here, but it's a weird detachment, man. It's just a weird detachment of that's what makes snipers good. You know, when you take yeah. the psychological eval and, you know, you're getting interviewed by Sykes and all this and that, they look for traits like that. You know, that being able to compartmentalize and detach is uh, one of the key traits, man. Well, yeah, I think, you know, coupled with, you know, how how close up you are and, you know, seeing guys' facial expressions in one shot and one kill type of thing plays a big role in that. But one of the things that I think I'd love for you to to expound on um, is the sniper-spotter relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, just kind of real quick, if you can can summarize – a, the importance, uh, mm-hmm. but then B, you know, that dynamic and, and just like with a, a husband and wife or, you know, child with their parents, like how, how big of a deal, mm-hmm. how, how good that relationship is, is going to impact your, your success on the battlefield. Dude, I'm glad you brought that up. You can even take that to the civilian or yeah, marriage or relationships if you want it, man. That's exactly what it was. Like my spotter was my second arm or my other arm or whatever you want to call it. Mm. It was that communication was everything that open communication. If I didn't like, we would critique the hell out of ourselves after a mission. It's, you know, Hey dude, what did I do wrong? And if you fuck around and say, Oh no, you were great, bro. I'm dude, I'm going to punch you. Like, no, I know I did something that yeah. was not right. You know, I might've, it's something, always something open communication and being willing and able to accept it and build upon that was like what made a great team. And the reliance on each other. It, it, it got to the point where you don't have to say anything. It's just a look or, I mean, I could tell it was Pemberton dude, by the way he smelt when he sweats. Yeah. And that's just the or bust. Ass yeah. Or bust. You know, know like, Hey, he eats a lot of onions. I know that, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, it's yeah. that bond, man. And it, it's a, it's a, I still talk to him to this day, man. It's just a, a bond that is really, really hard to break because you go through, you know, so many things and you're dealing with, you know, a single shot and, the the intimacy behind it and the communication to build up this one shot and you're essentially both taking the life of an individual you know it's just a, a marrying stage and then that you know taking away of a life thing it, it's i don't it, it's a it's a it's a bond man that it's like it's like art or something you know? i'm nick the host of the ufo chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I mean, I think the, I know for like for SEAL training as an example, and, and I know, you know, Ranger School and RIP is, is very similar in terms of intensity and in, in that you know, the, the adage of the strongest steel is forged in the hottest fire, mm-hmm, like the, the mm-hmm. shit that you guys go through. I mean, that's beyond brotherhood. It is. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and to me like that really highlights the, you know, one, the importance of the relationship that you have with your spotter and, and just your teammates in general, but also something that, you know, I know you, you probably are faced with similar things in dealing with some of the civilian, uh, you know, p- public and whatnot is, you know, you can try to explain that to people. But it's hard to explain it to yeah. blue in the face. Like, it, you know, yeah. 
it, it, it's something that it's you, your heart, man. Like yeah. that, your spotter, your 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 guys next to you going inside of a room, cutting corners, man. It's that's your heartbeat. Like if that guy goes, your heart goes, and without the heart, your body dies. It's that much of importance. Like that that bond has to be there. One cannot exist without the other. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a very important organ within the entire body itself. And yeah, yeah it, it feels like that. You know, I could. I knew when Pemberton was having a bad day just because of the the vibe in the room, man. Just mm -hmm. if he woke up and walked a, a certain way, I knew something was off or, you know, and it was just, it, it, it's very, very close knit, very yeah. close knit. What, um, as you said, you, you keep in touch with them. How, how is your guys' relationship now? I mean, do you talk to them often? Oh, or? oh yeah. yeah. We talk often and normally it's like, we try to get away from, you know, certain things, but He'll bring up or I'll bring he's like, hey man, do you ever think about, you know, what we could have done different? That gets brought up damn near every conversation yeah. is that longest day mission where a cop got hit and it's like, what could we have done different? And we're yeah. still doing AARs to this day of, you know, would have, could have, should have done this, done that, man. And it all comes down to, you know, we did everything we could, you know, yeah. and but I think being perfectionist and and you know, it's just very precise at what we do there has to be something that wasn't done right and we just nitpick that maybe longer than what we need to but that bond of hey man are you good you know anything and we talk and you know we talk about his promotion we talk about the the new military that's that's happening now and how he feels about it we talk about you know all that life man and you know the, what's the next chapter in life you know yeah, yeah. one of the things that, that i'm curious about and and you know i was very fortunate in that i i never had to attend a funeral of a teammate that had died mm -hmm. saving my life or in a combat operation that we were on together. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I'm glad that I've never been through that. Oh, yeah. Now, having said that, I've been through a number of funerals of close teammates of mine that were killed, that died uh, and, and were killed in action, mm -hmm. uh, you know, facing, facing our enemy. Um, but for me, you know, strangely enough, the the hardest funeral that I have ever been to was the first student because uh, I was a mm. SEAL instructor for the last three years uh, that I was in the Navy. The very first student that I that had gone through while I was an instructor, I, I didn't remember him real well, but his name was Mike Mansour. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, you yeah. know he's awarded the Medal of Honor in Iraq. Uh, in in yep. uh, I was there when he died. Yeah, I was a machine gunner, Mark forty eight gunner, just like he was. Right? Was that Mansour the forty eight? Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he dove on a grenade and saved a number of mm -hmm. his guys' lives. And and um, but you know, going to his funeral was different. Hmm. Um, and for me, you know, the the best way I can even try to to rationalize it or explain it was kind of like a father losing losing his son. And I don't mean that I get it. You know, out of disrespect for for his dad, of course, or, or anything, or that I played some integral role in his life because I, I don't think that I did other than I was one of the instructors that That's a big part, man. You know, but whether or not he probably even remembered me is is, you know, who who would have known. But but I, I felt for me that that it was like a feeling of failure. Um yeah you know, of, of passing the torch and then, and then him not coming home. And, and it was to this day, the toughest fucking funeral I've ever been to in my life. Um, mm. one that still gets me choked up even thinking about it. Yeah, I got that. Um, yeah. you know, and, and one that, uh, that for me, I'll, I'll always remember like it happened yesterday. And, and I'm curious, I don't know if you, you know, 
whether you would even call it the fortune or misfortune, depending on how it impacted you. But, but if you went to any of the funerals of, of cop or, Mm -hmm. or other guys that, that, uh, were lost during that, you know, if you would tell us, you know, how, how that fucking impacts you, man, empty, man. It feels like a piece of your soul gets snatched out, like torn off, man. Um, it took me forever to go see cop's funeral or his uh, gravesite in Arlington. Um, my parents still live up in Maryland and, and, uh, you know, not too far from Arlington cemetery. And they kind of encouraged me to go. It had been a while. I was kind of, I didn't want to go see him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not see him, but I wasn't ready or I wasn't, I wasn't sure if, dude, as, as weird as it sounds like, would I even be, I don't know like not worthy or, or accepted or disappointed. I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. That was the hardest thing for fuck, me. What yeah. can you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what exactly what happened. I didn't say anything. It was, I got there and dude, my legs got weak, man. You know, I, I remember going, you know, collapsing. Oh shit. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. yeah. That's tough. I appreciate you, you sharing that. I know it's not easy and uh, you know, but again, I think it's something important for those of you listening to understand the the gravity, you know, that exists within uh, these tight knit communities and, and the fucking, the sacrifice that, that our guys are, are, uh, you know, putting down for one another and, and what it really means. I mean, it's one thing to, to talk about it, to see it in a movie, to read it in a headline, you know, it's a whole different fucking ball game when, when you meet people that have lived it and they, yeah. and they, and you can see it in their face, explaining it to you and it's fucking tough, you know, but uh, yeah. I appreciate you doing that. Oh yeah. Um, it's worth being told, man. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Um, so the next thing, uh, that I wanted to move on to because it's a, a hotbed, uh, topic, um, well, actually before I do that, I just want to say, is, is there, for those of you to, to kind of wrap up the book quick before we move into the next segment, is this book, um, if you have not read it, do yourself and your fucking country a favor and go buy this book uh, and read it. Uh, read it where you're not going to be distracted. Read it where you can uh, commit some some no bullshit time to think about what's actually taking place and understand the both the gravity and the and the enormity that exists with what guys like Nick and, and all of our service members face day in, day out, and have now for a long fucking time post 9-11, frankly. And and I think as a as a country, as a society, we owe it to ourselves for stories like his uh, and others to be told, uh, remembered, fucking celebrated, uh, and mo- and most importantly, ingrained into our, our children, into our next generation of yeah. understanding. One of my favorite fucking quotes by, you know, anybody, but when Ronald Reagan said that freedom, uh, you know, is but one generation from extinction. And when, when our, our next uh, generation doesn't give enough of a fuck Mm -hmm. to fight for it, then, uh, then we're all screwed. Uh, so, uh, I'm running out of fights, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're getting old. It's a fascinating book. Uh, he's got another one called the way of the reaper, which is uh, an even further explanation of, of other collections of stories. Uh, that are equally as amazing uh, that that are worth reading as well. But is there anything that you would like to to mention that we didn't talk about the book before we move into the the next segment? No, man. I mean, uh, I keep writing. Yeah. So I got, of course, that one, the way of the reaper and then moved on to the fictional world, man. I can have some fun. Yeah. That'd be good. I'm looking forward to checking it out. It's coming out in May, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one's good. Good shit. So uh, again, check that shit out and uh, you owe it to yourself. So just do it. 
Um, the next segment that I want to talk about is totally unrelated as it, you know, in terms of sniper action, but it's something that, that plagues our country, uh, pretty enormously still. And, uh, I will say for me, you know, one of the things that I, I'm really stoked that you're here is because our backgrounds are, are pretty fucking similar in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. We come from very similar communities in terms of, um, you know, the, the situations we've found ourselves in the, and, and I guess more importantly, the, the communities that we come from, the people that we yeah. kind of grew up with. And one of the things that I always really loved about the, the U S military, especially special operations is the lack of, of what, what role race plays. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, while, you know, admittedly, like there's not a lot of brothers in the seal teams, no, not even in, yeah, I was know, like the only one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but, um, but I will say that, you know, that, that element to it didn't fucking matter, but in a good way, it wasn't that it wasn't recognized is that it didn't influence anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I, you know, cause I, I, you know, the, I, I had a kind of a tumultuous upbringing. I got, you know, jumped a bunch of times growing up uh, for, too. for being a white kid, you know, I was just light skin, <laughs> you know, yeah, I was light skin guy. <laughs> yeah, you weren't dark enough. Yeah. I wasn't dark enough <laughs> to like get this guy out of here. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, um, you know, so there, there's, there's multiple, multiple, you know, aspects to that. But, you know, one of the things that I, I find that plagues our country is, is you hear, you know, a lot of pundits and, and, you know, just mindless fucking windbags that, that get on, uh, you know, nightly news and, and cable news networks. And they talk about, let's have an opus open and honest conversation and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, but it, it usually, you know, is, is tainted by uh, either, you know, being labeled, a racist for having some sort of opinion, uh, or it's, you know, going the other direction of, of assuming that, uh, you know, somebody is, is doing something with, uh, with bad intentions or, mm -hmm. you know, it's starting out on the wrong foot, you know, yeah. and you've got yeah. people that, that aren't listening to understand they're listening to fucking respond. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, to me, what, what it has to start with having an open conversation about it is having guys like you and I sit, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, you know, have kind of a, a brotherhood connection to begin yeah, with yeah. from our backgrounds and, and really kind of delve into, you know, what plagues our society. And I'll be the first to admit, you know, I, I did not vote for Obama either mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not real crazy about the fact that he was elected. However, uh, I would say that, uh, his first election, I was, uh, the one thing I was, I was very, um, mindful of and, and excited about and, and hopefully or hopeful about was that, you know, I felt like, okay, I think our country has a very good mm -hmm. foot forward or I potential for a foot forward, uh, in terms of race relations in this yep. country. And, you know, and, and this is just one, one white boy's perspective. No, but, I felt the same way. Hell but, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like in his eight years, we took 30 fucking steps back. Same bro. You know? Yep. And, and so I'm curious, you know, as, as somebody who, you know, felt the same and has a, has a similar background militarily career wise, mm -hmm. you know, how, how do you feel about that? And, and what, what is your, what is your take on it in, in general? Yeah, dude. It was, um, yeah, so I was the first, but when I got to battalion, we had a, a black first sergeant who was, uh, we nicknamed him or he called himself the black rhino. This dude was huge, right? Just a massive guy. And he, I'm going to say he looked like a rhino. Well, I mean, he's just a big gorilla looking guy, just massive, right? Scary. And we had a, another black guy who was a team leader, a squad leader, but he ended up leaving. And then it was just me after that. 
Now, when I went on to Sniper section, there was this big talk about, not even a big talk, it was like, like a joke almost, like, Irv, I think you're the first black sniper we've ever had. And I was yeah. like, All That's right. right. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay, cool, you know? And well, we came to find out, I think there was one before that, but I was the first one to ever deploy as a sniper with the, since 1986, uh, when we stood up or whenever. Oh uh, yeah, like 1980s, whenever the sniper section was there. But anyways, uh, yeah, it wasn't like a, a, a race, a race thing inside our community. It was, can you shoot? Can you not shoot? Like I would pick on most of the guys because they couldn't shoot that good. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I would, you know, talk a lot of shit to the guys and they would give shit back, but it was never on, dude, I've been called brother by, you know, Asian guys, white guys, all the, every day. It was just like, what's up brother? And, you know, uh, spending the night over my house or dude, uh, just because this guy's in a fight with the bouncer at Atlanta Strip Club, Cheetah, you know, I'm jumping <laughs> in it too. Cheetah. Shout out to Cheetah. You know, it was it was a it was just a, a brotherhood, man. It was when I got out is when I you know started to see, uh, I guess what you want to call stereotypes and people judging me because of the way I look or whatever, and not having any idea what I did prior to it, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that. It was just, I remember being in New Orleans, dude, and and this was also, but here's the thing about racism, I'm not even going to say it just comes from uh, uh, white against black or whatever. Sometimes it's black on black, too. I have this cop, bro, and it was racist, blatant, like, stopped me just because of the way I looked and wanted to do this whole BS thing and me being who I am and kind of a hothead and I was drinking way too much, but I was just like, dude, you're not going to put your hands on me and I'm not going to say anything, you know, for no reason. And he, you know, called me a few names or whatever. It was a white cop that kind of dissolved or dissolved the entire thing, apologized for it. And it was like, hey, man, you know, it's not like that. So it was I was kind of torn a little bit. But then I've also walked in a store and kind of had this like, hey, did you just take, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, like, bro, no, mm-hmm. New York Times bestselling author. You know, <laughs> I don't need to steal a piece of gum. But it was, uh, no, I, I get it, man. I, I think that it does need to be talked about. I think that maybe, maybe we've gotten to the point where it's gotten to the point where they say, people say they want to talk about it, but like you said, it, it's that understanding part. Maybe we've gotten used to so much of a way, or maybe we've gotten so used to stereotypes. And, and you know, where I'm from, like, there's guys, it was a big thing to wear dreadlocks all the time. You know what I mean? I had cornrows at one point in time. God damn, I hope you got a picture of that. Bro, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I were, they were pretty, bro. They were pretty. And, uh, yeah, it was just like, you know, there's a stereotype with, with certain guys or the way they dress or whatnot but some of the most intelligent guys you know that i know were you know had long dreadlocks they're rastas and like very smart smart guys you know and and most gentle people on the planet but i think we've gotten to the point where maybe social media and everyone's opinion and influence has kind of polluted people's minds where you can log online and you can see you know this guy did something here and this guy did something here i think that we've put so much negative into the front the forefront because that's what you know starts topics and, and starts conversation and, mm-hmm. and drama you know that we don't put forth maybe the good things i think that the whole stereotype kind of gets out of out of hand sometimes yeah. and once we kind of break that stereotype like dude you've had you have the best barbecue ribs that i've ever had in my life and <laughs> where i'm dude, as a black guy like that's not even you know a, a stereotype would be 
they used you to, ought to yeah, barbecue me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was the the best barbecue I ever had, man. And it's it's small things like that breaking down these stereotypes and and understanding. Hey, why is this this way, or why do you guys do this and X, Y, and Z? I mean, if you look at my past, dude. I mean, I was I was the I was that guy. You know what I mean? Where you know, baggy pants. I stopped doing that with my dude. Funny story. I decided to. My parents always told me never, you know, sag your pants. It, it meant this in prison and all this. And I was like, whatever. And my parents decided to sneak up on me in school one day. And I was walking down the hallway, thugged out, bro. And I hear my name called. I'll never forget my dad. You know, this is Nick. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Bro, I pulled up my pants as fast as I could. And he's like, just come here. We went to the bathroom and he, Gave me a belt, had to wear church clothes that entire next week. So I had to wear, like I was going to church every single day after that, just to like prove a point. But, and he told me the importance of, of, of being stereotyped and all this and that. I mean, yeah, of course, I, you know, I've been pulled over, you know, for maybe a couple of reasons that I shouldn't have been pulled over for. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have a busted tail light, fact. But <laughs> I think that it's just that, it's the stereotypes that need to be broken down, man, you know, of, dude, not everybody's bad. I think we've gotten so far away of as, as soft as this may sound, dude, but unity or oneness, you know, like, I don't think that there's, if you think about how stupid racism is, right, it's a skin pigmentation. I don't understand in my mind, how can I hate someone over a pigmentation of, of, of something they have no choice. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's a, it, it's, it, it's a, it's skin color. That skin, you can rip off a piece and set it on the table and it will do nothing mm-hmm. but rot away. We've gotten away so much from, we're all sacks of shit at the end of the day. You know, when we die, we're all going to go back to the sack of shit place that we come from. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all going to turn into mud one day. We're going to get eaten by worms and that worm's not going to care if it's a white skin, black skin, you know, whatever it, mm-hmm. it it's it's all going to get you know eaten up the same way and mm-hmm. and and whatnot, bro. I, I think we've gotten so far from unity, man. Everyone's just it's it's so much just conflict, dude. No one is understanding the importance of helping another person out. Yeah, you know. To, to me, I see a lot of uh, parallels between the political the two political parties mm-hmm. and, and racism in terms of yeah. of its. It's gotten to the point where it's where, a gang, bro. Yeah, where yeah. where it's it's a it's a thug or it's a, a crip and, and blood mentality, mm-hmm. or or a, or a Democrat and, and Republican mentality. But you know, and we talk about understanding. One of the things that you know that and you know what I'd like to do here is kind of share as, as a fucking white male my frustrations, mm-hmm. and and I'd love to hear yours yeah, yeah. too. Is that you know for me. And, you know, I'm sure people with, uh, of the white privilege crowd are going to say you're fucking whining. You got no reason to whine or whatever. But mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you, you know, for me, like being a being a, a straight white guy, like nobody gives a fuck what you think, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and in terms of, you know, wanting to not only nobody gives a fuck what, what you think is that, you know, you, you talk about getting lumped into, um, you know, a, a prejudiced mentality or a, a, I'd say, albeit bigoted mentality is mm-hmm. where you, assume, you know, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying you yeah, know, yeah. a lot of people in the public assume, well, if you're a white guy, you've had it easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're fucking racist. You know, there's a number of fucking things that they're going to automatically assume about me. And a lot of these people, you know, are social justice warriors that are so hell bent on, 
on and it's the same thing towards immigrants versus mm-hmm. americans like you know in the sake of fucking tolerance towards immigrants or towards any minority group period they will chastise and fucking steamroll mm-hmm. the majority mm-hmm. or other people that didn't have shit to do with anything mm-hmm. and and lump you into a category of being a, a motherfucker for, for which isn't right i don't i don't that's the, the the whole thing the mentality behind i think that's the difference between the civilian world and, and the world we come from where we get lumped into this melting pot and we all get beat the same way mm-hmm. you know and it, we all get a chance to see each other's like bottom low human form you yeah. know what i mean by being beat down and and we get out into uh, uh, society and you have these different mindsets of hey this guy's black so he must be this way um and to be honest dude like i have stereotypes too even about certain black you know, if, if I go to the Section 8 housing or other projects or go back to Baltimore or something like that, dude, I know not to go to Cherry Hill, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I know not to go to certain places in, in Maryland because, mm-hmm. you know, even me being a black guy, I could get, I'm going to get, I'm not from there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think it comes to history, man. Like certain things, I'm not going to say, uh, maybe some, some things are stem from, you know, uh, past generations. Like I'll look at discipline for one, one example, the way my parents grew up was, you know, very abusive and both their parents, their fathers were extremely abusive and they got beat a lot, you know, and you look at the generation before then it was the same and it kind of, you know, led on to, you know, my lifestyle. And then over time, my parents kind of understood that, Hey, this isn't right. We're actually molding and, and, uh, this exact cycle, uh, this continuation of problems that we face, you know, mm-hmm. and they kind of got away from that and it helped me and my sister and, you know, uh, to kind of be better individuals, not because we weren't beat, but I'm not going to, you know, establish that with my child and mm-hmm. I'm not going to preach the same things that my, my parents were preached, uh, you know, like, Hey, these, you know, people are, they'll look at you like this. They'll, you know, don't go. I mean, I've had the speech many of times of if you get pulled over, do X, Y, and Z. Don't ever reach in your pocket. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I never got it, but I guess I kind of did. And I, I've I've seen you know my friends get jammed up a few times for just nothing at all, and yeah. it's just wrong place. Yeah, just wrong place, wrong yeah. place, and being a certain individual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the there's a couple things. I mean, number one, the you know to me, I, I've. I've been pulled over a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and sometimes it's gone textbook and other times it's gotten real close to me getting yanked out of the fucking car. Jeez. I've had guys draw pistols on me. What? You know. Um, That's when you got to speed off, right? Yeah. No, dude. Fucking spike strip. Right. You know, but for me, you know, when I look back at, at my own internal after action, every, every fucking aspect of it was directed or dictated by my conduct. You know what? I can agree 100%, 98%. There's a few times where I didn't do shit, but sure. I, will, I will be 100% honest when I say that, you know, being in a certain state of mind at one point in my life, and I look back at the situation, and yeah, I could have, you know, talked to that man like a man. And I think that's where you kind of get that, that establishment. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a conflict between, you know, if you look online, there's police, and then you have, you know, this demographic of people that have tension between them. That tension, and when you see it all the time, it kind of already builds a mindset of, oh, I have to be defensive, I have to be a certain way, Mm -hmm. and that comes off, you know, to a person who may or may not see something, or you as an individual, a certain way, but they get this fear of, hey, this guy's aggressive, and it might come across that way, 
you know, um, and I'm guilty. I've been guilty of that. And I can, you know, a hundred percent say that the times I have been in trouble, my mouth has got me, mm-hmm. you know, maybe pushed a few buttons that shouldn't have been pushed, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the unique perspectives that, uh, that our soldiers have is at least to a certain extent being able to put themselves in a cop shoes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've not, you know, pulled people over, uh, here stateside really. Uh, so I, you know, I can't speak to that, but, but being overseas, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, some of these cops in the situations that they're being put in, especially with the amount of training that, that they oh, yeah. have, you know, as well as anybody, like you get to where you see things overseas. You're like, I know that motherfucker's mm-hmm. up to no good. Yeah. Like I can tell by the way he's walking, you know, you know, and, and, and bear with me for a second. But if you're in an area where 99 times out of a hundred, it's, a guy that is is black has this type of clothing mm-hmm. is driving this type of car is, mm-hmm. is in this area or parking lot or whatever I, you know to me to to deny the fact that it's it's human nature to to make patterns out of things and, and see similarities is does a disservice to the human mm-hmm. mind but mm-hmm. now does that mean that you should default to it no but i think that that our society uh, has to at least have an understanding that mm-hmm. that, that that's a natural tendency. Hundred uh, percent. I think well, even if you wanted to get around that, what if they changed the certain demographics? Let's say if you put, I don't know if you could do it, but you know, if 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 let's say my mindset going into an environment is, hey, everyone who looks like this profile is going to be this type of way. But if I come from that area and I get that environment, like, oh, they dress like this because that's just the way it is, and maybe you get a different perspective on it, you know, maybe that would, you know, help some of the the cases as well or, or some of the problems. But I mean, I think, like I said, going back to the whole race and, uh, you know, stereotypes in itself, like those have to start getting broken down, you know, to its bare bone first before anything can even happen. I think yeah. that, you know, there's way too many stereotypes are, yeah, just stereotypes of certain individuals, man. And, Dude, you have to admit, there's just a lot of negative hate in America. And I, I, I that, that's hard for me to even understand, not hard for me to understand, but seeing it evolve over time. Like we talked about when Obama got elected and I didn't vote, you know, I don't, was I old? Yeah, I was old enough. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't vote. I don't, I just think the electoral college is kind of negates my vote. But anyways, um, I didn't vote e- either, but it was good to see like, hey, we might have something here, you know, that. Uh, there's a, a step in the right direction. And I don't know what what changed after that, man. You know, like, was it during or what happened? But watching it evolve into what it is now, dude, I can't go online and not see something that's like, what the fuck? You know, mm-hmm. like, that's blatant. Like, bro, like, I've been called names, but, you know what I mean? There's certain ones that it's just like, okay, uh, I can only be called this so many times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I, I ignore it, but it's out there. And, and for people to say it doesn't exist, dude, I can pull an entire Facebook page up of like inward, negative, all this and that, bro. And then, you know, I've even, I'm guilty, used to be guilty of using the word too. It's just like from the demographic and the, where I grew up, it was just a, a greeting type way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, you know, one of the things that I think a, a lot of, uh, I'll just say white folks are mm-hmm. curious about it is yeah. that, uh, and, and I'll say myself included is that, you know, and, and I and I understand, you know, generally the responses with the, the historical context, et cetera. And, you know, I get it mm-hmm. sort of. Obviously, I'm, I'm not a black man, but um, but I understand, you know, a, a negative association with certain words, you know, depending on ethnicity and, and et cetera. But, 
to me from, you know, looking at it from kind of an aerial perspective or, or from, you know, a, a more neutral ground is that, you know, as, as a society, if we say this, this word mm -hmm. is unacceptable, mm -hmm. like to me, it, it, it's like with freedom, like, well then fuck, it's gotta be unacceptable everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I agree. You I know? think that like my parents, they were big into that too. I didn't listen to them, but I get it now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get yeah. it. And I tried the whole, you know, tried to join a gang. And if you want to call it that, it was just a bunch of dumb kids, man. But it was just, um, I agree. Like, I think that word should definitely, you know, be thrown out of the dictionary. I don't like it anymore. I, I don't think it's the way I want to, you know, greet another human being or individual. Dude, if you have to try or look up the, this salt project or this salt science experiment where they take a bottle or a can of salt, different cans, and they label one with hate, one with love, and one with something else. And every day they say, I hate you, I hate you. And this one turns to mold and black. And then they say, I love you to this one. And this one stays pure. And they, they don't know, you know why it does that or whatever. Um, it's just the negative negativity associated with it. And I think that if when I'm talking to another person like me and I use this derogatory word, no matter no matter how I or how we per, perceive it to be derogatory or not, the meaning behind it, the the word itself is derogatory. And if I'm putting that on someone, I kind of putting that person down subconsciously or consciously, whether they didn't, they know it or not, it's like I'm influencing some portion of them to you know, kind of belittle that person. Mm -hmm. Why won't I call them, you know, a brother, a man, or just anything. I don't, I just kind of, you know, I think that in order to better ourselves and we have to get rid of that, you know, certain negative things, even the small things like words like that. Do I get it? Um, not anymore. You know, not anymore. I used to kind of say it was for rap music and X, Y, and Z. And because it was, uh, uh, no, but then, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, I don't know if you watched the, uh, and forgive my ignorance on even knowing the name, I think it was the state correspondence dinner, maybe. It was, it was like the last dinner that Obama had, and the guy... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's a comedian. I did not like that, man. You know, I was but, uncomfortable, bro. Yeah, I mean, so, to me, like like I said, I mean, fuck, I, I'm here to, to I, I want to get it. I want to understand. Mm -hmm. To me, like, if I have a, a problem with, with anything, uh, you know, how, how, how can I logically expect... Mm -hmm whether it's a group of people, a society, a fucking state, a, a, an age range, pick any fucking thing. How, how can I expect something to, to not take place mm -hmm. if I have a, a laissez-faire attitude towards it being used in certain contexts? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, I mean, to me, it's... No, I agree. Yeah, you know, I agree. That's the first half of it. Just like, you know, if the, the other half of it, and again, you know, for the critics out there that, that may say, well, you, you know, you don't understand because of the historical reference. Hey, okay, but... Yeah, but I do. And I still but, think that it's, dude, I don't know. I, I don't think well, it's right to call someone. I mean, it's just my, if you know the meaning behind it, you know, what it was used for in the derogatory way, but there's also another little, I'm not sure if many people know about it, but there's also something like the, the Niga tribe in Africa. And that word means like king and queen, you know what I mean? But I think that's where it kind of got twisted. And then they use that, oh, well, let's call them the Nigas. And then it turned into whatever. And it was used for derogatory. Then yeah. it switched over time. But we know what it was used for here in America. And if anyone wants change at any aspect, you can't ask for it and then not be willing to, you know, to be part of it, be part of it. Yeah. So if we want to be looked at a certain way, that goes for anybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If, you know, if you don't want to be looked at like, Hey, if I met you for the first time and I'm, 
you know, stereotype. I don't even know. Like, what's a good stereotype for a white guy? Like, um, let's see. You can't dance. Okay, there we go. Boom. Okay, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Let's say you can't dance, right? I can cut it up, Nick. I'll tell see, you. See, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna lie about that. Now that you brought that up, perfect example. Yeah. Now that you brought that up, and I'm picturing music in my head playing and you dancing, I don't think you can. Yeah. You I'm, know, I'm about to prove you wrong. I need to see it. I'm gonna grab a rib. Hey, and cut it up here. Nice. But well, so, but that's the cool thing about it, though, yeah. man. That's how you break, dude. Yeah, that's how you do it, man. It's like, I don't know if you can dance or not, but yeah. that is like a stereotype that only black guys or black women have rhythm and white people don't or whatever. Dude, and I address you, hey, man, you know, why is that? Why is it that that is a stereotype amongst, you know, a white demographic or Asian demographic or whatnot? And I don't know. I don't think it's something that I could like berate or, or degrade you for or anything like that. It's just like, it's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't get it, but it's the cool thing I like to learn. And I don't think that one side or some sides just don't want to learn as much or want to change as much. Like eh, people think I might be, what's your stereotype? What would you, if we first met right now, ask me one, like that was a good one. Yeah. If you said you could dance like this guy's full of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, like, you know, as, as, and I'm not trying to play fucking Switzerland here, but mm -hmm. I, I really do everybody I interact with and, and, you know, bear with me on the, on the dog reference, but like working with dogs has taught me more about people than anything else mm. that I've ever done in my life. Even being in the military for, for over a dozen years is that the, the nonverbal communication and body language that mm. continuously takes place between animals, mm -hmm. you know, teaches me that, that like my brain is fucking hardwired that way. Mm -hmm. And so now I don't, I don't think of things probably the way most people do. Uh, uh, and so my, I would call it an ability uh, mm -hmm. to, to remain much more focused on the specific individual and how they're carrying themselves. Yeah. 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 You know, some of it is their conduct, but a lot of it is, is the way that they're carrying themselves, mm -hmm. their mannerisms, their confidence, their, the way that they look at me or not, mm -hmm. you know, again, just like when you, when you're overseas and you're surveying everybody, like you're, you're looking for everything, either irregularities mm -hmm. or patterns mm -hmm. or, you know, depending on what they are, you're, you're looking things for that don't make sometimes. sense that yeah. don't match. Yeah. And, and so to me that that's kind of how I, I view everybody is mm -hmm. that I, I, I do, you know, to not sound like a fucking robot, but almost kind of like a full scan of like sizing them. Yeah. Up, mm -hmm. But as an individual, you know, I so, agree. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the, the luxury that I have is that, you know, I've got, you know, 15 fucking years of, of doing that with dogs mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure out how a dog's personality is. And so I'm naturally more, more hardwired on, a, on, I would say, kind of a primal animalistic standpoint yeah. than most people are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, to, to go back to the, you know, the white men can't dance thing, I think, and I'd love to hear some of your plights too, because, you know, to me, it's like it's sitting around in the platoon hut bitch session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, for, for all the, uh, you know, the, the fucking white guys out there that, you know, that the thing that I see that I think frustrates most of us that, you know, most people just aren't willing to fucking say or talk about mm -hmm. is that I, I think between the, the white privilege thing and, and the fact that we, we automatically get lumped into, uh, being a, a group of people that, that, you know, I don't give a fuck what you think. Mm -hmm. I, I'm assuming that, that you don't like me because I'm black, Asian, Mexican, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, that you're going to throw stereotypes at me. But if you look at, at the white men can't dance, you got a little dick, you got, if, if I can pick any, any, any I'm not going to go that far. Yeah. Dude, I've been in this, uh, you, you go, for I've it. been to basic training. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. That's so, not a true stereotype. No, yeah. I don't know. You and me both. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but so, 
but but the fact is is that when 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 I think of you know I can't think of a a stereotype when it comes to the straight white male that exists that isn't negative mm-hmm. and isn't generally laughed at. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh, true, it's, yeah. the, it's the dorky white fucking dad that can't dance, yeah. that can't lay the fucking pipe, that's yeah. just a boring. He fucking goes bowling on the weekend, and he's a lame ass. You should see me on the weekends. <laughs> you know, but but like it, it's funny though. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like w- when you bring up stereotypes about other races, it's not funny. It's offensive. It's mm-hmm. how the fuck could you say that? And I think as a, as a group, because that's the group that I'm in. I think you know whether you want to call it a fucking plight or not. I mean, that, that's the reality. The second thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear that a lot about either getting pull, pulled over unnecessarily or going into stores and get followed. And mm-hmm. for sure, I've been pulled over unnecessarily, but not because I'm a white guy, or at least I can make that assertion pretty fucking comfortably. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and again, I'm not I'm not saying that this is even necessarily apples to apples, but I, I think in a lot of ways it is in that you don't generally hear about things like if, if you were to take me and, and I'll let you, you know, answer mm-hmm. this one, like put me on a Saturday night in Southside Chicago or in fucking Harlem walking around by myself. Oh, good like, luck, bro. But yeah, like, you, I mean, okay, you go into a store, you get followed. Like, what do you think is going to happen to me there? Oh, man. You're not making it back home, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, but, and, and why? Because you're white. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, but but that that doesn't ever get talked about. That's you know? true. And, and yeah. if it does, it's, you fucking white privilege. Like, I'll tell you right now. Every so why is thing, that then? I never even thought about it like that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's the thing is, is that it, it never gets talked about because you're the fucking white guy that has has the privilege. And, and this, I'll tell you right fucking now, there isn't a goddamn thing on this property mm-hmm. that was handed to me. And I'll say the same you thing know? too, man. Like for, you know, blacks feeling that they're. Under, I'm not sure if I'm not going to sit here and say I'm trying to dispel a stereotype, but I am going to say that if you work hard, and, and dude, I was never a believer in it. You know, I would watch TV and stuff like that. Now to hear, you know, people who didn't look like me say, all you have to do is dream and pursue your dream. I'm like, bullshit. That's mm. not going to happen for me, you know? But I found that, dude, I honestly found this, man. If you're a sincere individual, good intentions, and all you want to do is is something, whatever it could, whatever you want to do, you know what I mean? Anything. And I preach this to, you know, a uh, little top secret information. I have a one-year-old. Oh, shit. Yeah, full-time dad. God damn, congrats. Yeah. Oh, yeah, full-time dad. Better you than me. Dude, I love him, man. That's my, <laughs> no, that's my little... He gives me a hard time, not going to lie. Anybody who says, oh, it's... it's, dude, it's That's tough. It's, it's yeah, you talk about tough. no sleep. I'm, I'm right there with But you. it's like, man, I think that you can do... You can do anything. And it's just about, like, not accepting society's opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what society says about me or anything like that, dude, there's no way I'm going to let that stop me. I just don't... My mom always used to say that when you die, there's only one person inside that pine box. So who the fuck do you have to impress while you're here? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's only yeah. one person down there. So do what you have to do now. Dude, when you go, it, it, that's it. So I'm, I don't really think too much about because I'm black, I can't be an author. Or because I graduated high school with the 1.7, I can't be an author. Or own a, a company or anything like that, dude. It was, it was no bullshit. Like, woke up. I got tired of the situation I was in, which was really bad at the time. And... I needed to make a, a difference. And the mindset, I reverted back to that, you know, selection mindset of there's nothing that can stop me. Either I'm going to go home and, and you know, they're going to have to make me quit or I'm going to die here. Mm-hmm. And I felt the same way with the, a project that what I'm doing. I didn't put a stereotype behind it. And that's the cool thing about the imagination. There is no color. You know yeah. what I mean? We all dream the same, you know, and and all those things can come, you know, possible if, if you just put your mind to it. And I think that's the, that's one of the 
the big things I think that I'm not trying to, it just kind of happened of the day and age we live in and me being uh, a black guy, you know what I mean? It's, 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 I think it's saying something. I think it's saying it, that, that there are people out there that, dude, I'll, I'll give you an example, a book signing. Um, being in the civilian world when I first got out, I kind of had that, I was falling into the demographic, not the, dem- the mindset of like, oh man, it's hard and, you know, because you're black and all this and that and Obama's not, whatever, dude. It was like going into a book signing and seeing predominantly, you know, white people there. And it was, you know, coming up, shaking hands, crying hugs and stuff like that. And it was just like, oh my gosh, bro. That's the side that not many people get a chance to see. And we see all this, you know, racism or hate going on now. Dude, come to a book signing, man. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that it's, maybe it's just me, bro, but I just don't, it, does it exist? Of course it exists, but there's more positive stuff out there than there is negative. I think that we, of course, harp on it way too much in the, the you know, media outlets that, that kind of control the mind. That's why they call it television. It's telling your vision, uh, you know, programming. Mm-hmm. You're programming your mind by telling your vision something. And maybe we've gotten so programmed to that that that's what we believe to be true is, you know, there's this tension going on. Is it? Yes. Should it be resolved? Of course. But we've gotten so much into the negative aspect that no one wants to listen to each other anymore. Yeah. You know, shut that shit off. And we just need to talk, man. It, it's a it's a legit talk question. There's no difference. You know what I'm saying? If mm-hmm. I put it's just it's, it's, it's stupid, in my opinion, that, yeah. that we can in the same country under the same constitution, we have these Democrat Republicans and mm-hmm. whatnot. And there's hate between that. The same two, you know, parties that essentially form up the entire nation itself can be in a split and have that much hate. And this side feels that they're right. This side feels that they're right. It's a civil war without bullets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I thought we gotten past that. You know, it's, it's just. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think, you know, for the, you know, fuck, where do we go from here? I think, you know. Where do you, man? Yeah. I mean, to me, there's, there's two, two main components and you, you just touched on one of them is is you know there's there's got to be an understanding um you know and and that's on on both on every side i mean because it's not two-sided it's yeah. fucking 12-sided mm-hmm. but but you know the there, there's got to be an understanding and that and i think everybody is guilty of, of again of of listening to respond and, and trying to well you got you did this or well, this happened and, and you know and, mm-hmm. and it's not a fucking contest mm-hmm. number one yeah yeah um you know it's like yeah relationships you ever get those tit for tats yeah yeah when a relationship yeah, you're more with the girl winning yeah than yeah. just solving the fucking problem exactly with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Exactly. And, and that's mm-hmm. that's politics 101. And that's there's there's a lot of bleed over, I think, from uh, from politics into into race relations, frankly. Mm-hmm. But big time. Um, you know, I think the you know, the it, it's it's the perspective, you know. And again, one of the things that I've learned from dog training that has that that. Uh, you know, transcends every aspect of life is, is perspective. And by that, in that you've got to be able to put yourself in a different perspective. And, mm-hmm. and that really is the key to dog training is it doesn't fucking matter what I think, mm-hmm. you know, and in terms of race relationships, like if you and I go into the conversation by default saying, Mike, it doesn't fucking matter what, what you think, figure out, figure out the way Nick thinks, mm-hmm. how does it, how, how does it, how okay, does yeah. Nick view this? Mm-hmm. And, and if you take that same, that same mentality. Now I'm doing nothing but mm-hmm. trying to understand where you're coming from mm-hmm. and you're doing nothing but trying to understand where I'm yeah. coming from. To me, that's fucking step one, mm-hmm. you know, be, because without that happening again, you know, it's, it's, it can't be one-sided and, and I, and I don't say this to, to pick on anybody, but no. I, I hear a lot. You don't know what it's like to be black in America. Mm-hmm. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. You hear that all the time, mm-hmm. huh? but okay. Guess what? You don't know what it's like to be white in America. Mm-hmm. You know, now the assumption is, well, it's fucking easy and, and, and all that other stuff. But, but again, like I have to eight mile baby. Yeah, I, I have to try to understand mm-hmm. what it's like to be you. And you have to try to understand what it's like to be mm-hmm. me and until that happens. You're not going anywhere. You yeah, know, yeah. if it's, you know, if, if I say something and, and you're fucking racist, like if we're starting out that way, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. If you do something and I automatically think you're an unintelligent fucking whatever. And I, and I can't, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you know, in a position to, to have, you know, a, a perspective on it that's worth me listening to that that's equally as mm-hmm. destructive, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so if you think I'm racist and, and I think that you don't belong here, Mm-hmm. where the fuck are we you know yeah, and, yeah. and and so you know to me like the, the, we have to level the the playing field from a uh from an from an intellectual standpoint and from a perspective standpoint number one mm-hmm. and then number two is is, is you know it, it's just like we learned in the military of of going doing things together yeah, yeah. you know of like because when you fight together, it doesn't fucking matter. No. When you go through harrowing experiences with each other, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. as simple as it may sound, you know, I think one of the constructs of society is that, you know, some of life's most complex problems have the simplest fucking solutions. Yeah. And I think by making service mandatory where you have to go to, to mm-hmm. boot camp with, uh, with oh, guys, racism would be, you know, <laughs> I, I'll tell you, it'd fix a lot of, it'd fix a lot of pro- yeah. problems yeah. other than Hold just that, that guy's hand. Yeah. 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 Watch you him piss in a cup. Yeah. Fucking wrap saran wrap around his neck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Daisy chain these guys yeah. nuts together. Oh. But, um, you know, but, but by going through those things together and, and learning to trust one another, you know, mm-hmm. like, because I mean, fuck. I mean, you remember going through Ranger School and Rip and and infantry training, mm-hmm. boot camp, and me through Buds and, and platoon training, and 
the level of trust that you all trust, man. you know, that, that you gain from doing that with guys like it, it transcends all that bullshit. Hey bro, pack my parachute. Yeah. Fuck, <laughs> you know? Man, you better trust that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, pick up my wife from the airport. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you better trust that motherfucker. It's been like two days. They haven't been <laughs> <laughs> not back yet. Why is your phone turned off? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I New mean, password, but yeah. You know, so, but I, I think, you know, it, it, it's a complex problem and, and there's a lot of facets to it. And I think sometimes it's easy to over, oversimplify. I think we need to stop having, it needs to start at the lower, the, the lowest level possible. You know, the people, we have a lot of influence coming from, you know, the top of, mm-hmm. you know, politicians say, no, this is the way it is. Shut those people up for a minute because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They've probably been out of the loop for so long and, and stuck in Congress for 50 million years. So they don't know what it's like making a million dollar salaries a day. But you bring it back to the lower level. You know, I get a group of people from, geez, I don't know, uh, middle class, you know, are poor, whatever, white neighborhood, poor black neighborhood, man. And let's see the similarities and then see the differences. I, I can tell you what, you know, two poor neighborhoods equals two poor neighborhoods. So there's a start right there. You both have one thing in common. So you can't say, well, you have it better than I do. You know what I mean? And uh, just move on from there, man. Like there's a lot more similarities, I think, amongst the nationalities and, and skin colors or whatever, then there, you know, are things that are bad, man. I yeah. think there's way more similarities. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, again, to, you know, just cause of what I do with dogs, but you know, when, when, when you have two dogs that are typically animal aggressive as an example, right. Having, having, you know, a dog that's territorial animal aggressive, like the last thing I'm going to do is introduce another dog to him in his house. Mm. Well, transverse, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to the other dog's house either. Yeah. We're going to go to a neutral area, mm-hmm. i.e. boot camp. Mm-hmm. You know, so to, to me, by, by going to, you know, a neutral area where I'm not in their neighborhood, they're not in my neighborhood, uh-huh. you know, and, and, it, and then it's perform tasks together and it can be anything. It could be arbitrary fucking mm-hmm. team building, whatever. Is there you it? go. That's where it starts, man. Yeah, I mean, no joke. Me, yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, like you, like call it a, a fucking race workshop. Uh huh. Dude. Yeah. You know, but like to me, it, it works in boot camp. Mm-hmm. It, it works with with fucking dogs. I mean, like fucking try something. Yeah. Because you know? because yeah. what we're doing now is is we're going fucking backwards. Way back, man. And, and and it's and it's bullshit. Like as a country, we're fucking better than that. I know. Isn't it sad, dude? I feel like. Yeah. I mean, for you know. The civilian side of it. And if you look at it this way, we've been in war for 15 years. Have we gotten so tired of fighting Iraq and Afghanistan? They were like, fuck those. Those guys are too easy. Let's fight ourselves now. You know what I mean? You gotta fucking wonder. Yeah. And if you think about it like that, it it, it goes to show how stupid, you know, the whole thing is. You know, Mm -hmm. if America looked at it like that, what... What are we fighting for? Who are we fighting? Who is the real enemy, uh, real enemy here? You know, I think we're putting so much effort and energy into getting on social media and saying, you know, fuck Colin Kaepernick because he took a knee. Well, Colin Kaepernick didn't put this awesome plate of ribs on my plate today. So I give, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't really. Those ribs made yeah. a fucking impact. Dude, they, did, they changed my life, man. <laughs> I'm taking the bones home. Uh, yeah, that's another thing yeah. we talked about. You had, yeah, the Georgia thing, man. You're you know? going to have to fucking tweet that you have Mike, yeah. Mike Ritland's I'm gonna bones take a, at home. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I got <laughs> eating his bone marrow. Yeah. Right. Sucking on his oh, bones. Fuck yeah, you got to tweet that shit. Um, well, I got to tell you, man, before we wrap it up, we're going to talk about some of your projects and stuff. But, um, you know, the fucking, the insight from both the book uh, and and the plights that, that our, our country's faced unnecessarily, uh, since we've both been out and home, 
uh, are, are invaluable and, and, uh, it's just been fucking awesome yeah. having you here, man. I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a, a long fucking drive and Dude, this is where it starts, man. Yeah. If, yeah. if veterans wanted to give back, I think that's something that every veteran can do. You know what I mean? Okay. Is, is, you know, it, support each yeah, other. Yeah. Support each other. Let's, let, let's take a step back for a minute. And, and we fought for our country overseas, right? We see there's a war going on here. Why don't, take the lead like we would overseas, man. And this is where it starts of like, hey, what are we fighting for this mm -hmm. race stuff? I can go shoot with the white guy. And if he gets shot, guess what? Whoever shot him, yeah. fuck him and that entire village. You know yeah. what I mean? So, well, yeah, and there, there's, uh, you know, there's a, I don't remember what the, what the, ad, or how exactly the adage goes, but you know, it, it's the, the gist of it is, is when people give blood, mm -hmm. like when you see yeah. a fucking blood bank there, you don't know what fucking who it came from, but guess oh. what? They, they gave it to save your life and mm -hmm. you're taking it mm -hmm. and it's fucking irrelevant. You know, exactly. so you, you take that mentality in, into life, you know, yep. but, uh, what I would like to do is, is a couple things is number one is if you are not uh, following Nick on, on both Instagram, Twitter, Facebook for the love of shit, do yourself and your country a favor and do so. Cause, uh, I don't know that a, a bigger Patriot exists than this gentleman. And, and, uh, I'm fucking honored and flattered to have him in my house. So, so do that Appreciate Buy that. this fucking book. Uh, and I'm not asking you, I'm fucking telling you buy it because, uh, it, it should change your life. Uh, and if it doesn't choke yourself because, uh, it's that fucking good. Um, and it's important that if you have children or even if you're fucking, you know, sterile, uh, that you read that book and, and you understand the the sacrifice that our guys go through and, 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 you know, the, the sacrifice that, that they make for one another, uh, which ultimately, you know, comes, comes down to sacrificing for our country. So, mm -hmm. uh, so do that. He's got uh, The Way of the Reaper, which, again, is, is even more uh, stories similar to what's in the first book. And then I would love for you to tell us uh, about the, the next book coming out, uh, as well as your, uh, your projects on TV, uh, mostly Discovery Channel. Let, let everybody know how they can follow you, where they can go, and, and what you have going on. Yeah, of course, you know, follow me on the uh, social media. It's a lot of positive stuff on there, I guess, and a lot of philosophy and just, you know, thoughts, man, just... Uh, Things that get the day going and things that, you know, when I wake up and pop into my head, I, you know, talk about it for a minute. It's like what motivates me throughout the day. Um, book wise, man. So, yeah, the uh, the fiction book is where I am picking up now. I'm kind of it's that new chapter in life. You know, I look at, you know, life is a book. And for me to like this part of my life, dude, it was the most, you know, of course, impactful thing. It changed my life and, you know, of course, still affects, affects me to this day. Um, but now it's to the, you know, to the. I guess that, that, that polar shift of lifestyle, man, of, you know, I can't read a book. I can't get to the end of the book. Maybe I could, but if I kept my hand on the grouping of chapter five and I went on to chapter six and seven, but I still keep flipping back and rereading this one, that's an awkward way to read a book, you know, is reading it this way. It's just awkward. You, you know, maybe highlight a few things in chapter five and you can come back to them, you know, in different points in your life. But I think that, you know, by me going to the fiction side, it, it's bringing back that that innate thing we're all born with, the ability to create and dream and, and explore. I think that's where all the fun stuff, that's where you change the world. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, cliche or, or soft as that may sound, dude, like that's where it starts. You know yeah. what I mean? It's. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that uh, the things we're talking on right now, and that was all thought of, of, 
you know, someone dreamed it and someone dreamed of a, dreamt of a, uh, a desk and all this stuff, you know what I mean? And here it is now. I think just, uh, there's so much more positivity, man. And, and just, uh, just, just a lot to be spread around. And there's always two things, anyone, you can apply this to anyone, their, their life story. There's two things you will always learn in someone's story, what to do or what not to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that goes for any race, color, or anything. There's always something to be, you know, taught, uh, something to be picked up from, what to do, what not to do, at least take that away from it. But getting into the fiction world, it's going back to the childhood roots, man. I think that we become so adulthood and we, we kind of get so, oh, this is the way it is or whatever. And we forget to have fun sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? We forget to loosen up, let loose. And I think that that laughter, that, that, it, that, that imagination, man, like what happened to the, you know, uh, just... I don't know. I look back. This may maybe not make me sound too old, I guess, but like the 90s. And, you know, we had sitcoms like, I'm sure you watched Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay. okay yeah. yeah. So I can do the Carlton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why we got it. Yeah. Dude. So yeah, it's just like that, that brings, you know, people together, man. Like we can relate to that. And I just think that, man, just exploring just the, the fiction world and, and giving a different aspect and different share of stories. Who knows, man? I might be the new... Uh, partner with Jason Bourne or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, why not, man? Why not? Just exploring them. Going back to the, not a kid, but we just get so caught up in being adults. The, the so world much, needs man. more recess. Yeah, more. Re- there we go. Do you remember that cartoon on Saturdays? I might be way dating myself. <laughs> oh, it was Pepper Ann recess. Dude, that was. Oh, shit, you're younger than I am. Yeah. I, but, uh, yeah, that was the, that was the shit, yeah, man. Fucking hey. T- uh, tell us about the, uh, the Discovery show and the, the UK version that, uh, that you're working on. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, UK, I do a show um, through technology and Skype. Uh, the UK is on cable TV. Uh, a video game and movie review type host show. And it's yeah. fun, man. I mean, I'm 31 years old and I get yeah. to sit around and play Xbox and, yeah. you know, and play games. And dude, check this out. I always thought Star Wars was like a white thing, right? <laughs> this is a true story. I played the video game and I'm a Star Wars fan, bro. Yeah. Dude, I, okay, I'm going to go into the whole Darth Vader thing. But dude, like that's a badass that's badass, man. I get it. Like it's it's <laughs> it's it's really neat. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, oh shit, this is kind of cool. And I've played. Oh, this is gonna sound weird. I've played uh, NASCAR, no, the F1 cars. Oh yeah. And like, dude, the, all the technology and the the shit that they have to like the the pits and there's a math behind that. Yeah. You know, there's a strategy, a very deep strategy, bro. And I thought you just have to go fast, yeah, and that was a it. Chess game. It's a chess game, and yeah. dude, speaking of chess, my dad brought me up on chess since I was like a a baby man and i love skills there it, yeah, yeah i love chess and you know um he was big into like the deep blue machine from ibm uh back when this russian guy played the big supercomputer in one yeah yeah we tried to yeah but um anyways man i just like i don't know well, so, that how, uh yeah the uk and then the the tv show was uh i got picked up for fox and that's where i met john cena um, cool guy, man. Really yeah. cool guy. Is, like, is he as good of a kisser as he seems like he would be? He can hug. <laughs> he can hug. hug. But I will say the, the whole ki- he will kiss you, bro. If you if yeah. you if you yeah. if you push it, yeah. like he won't back off. Yeah. It's gonna happen. It's uncomfortable. Uh, it's un, it's un, it's it, it can get there, and that's a big guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and then just building a, a, a friendship with him, and it's just like, hey man, he called me up one day. And he was like, hey, I have this uh, movie. I'm gonna be a sniper in this movie called The Wall, and 
um, how everything comes full circle, man. Like be careful of who you, who you are mean to sometimes or who you kind of push off to, you know, you, you just never know how things may come back full many years later or whatever, dude. So me and John kind of, you know, just had uh, a few talks during the show and we had this like, you know, mutual, Hey man, you know, that's kind of like how I grew up or whatever. And it turned into, Hey, come over to my house. And it's not no Hollywood shit, but <laughs> come over to my house. Uh, we were, he's like, uh, and we're practicing a, on how to be a sniper for a movie role. And one of the directors is, uh, Doug Lyman and he's uh, director of Jason Bourne. I was like, Jason Bourne, I'm kind of doing a book like that now. And here I am meeting with him. And then, uh, met Aaron Taylor Johnson, and then his wife is the director of Fifty Shades of Grey, and all oh, this shit. stuff. Yeah, oh, <laughs> beautiful lady, man. She's a really, really good lady, like yeah. perf, uh, really good person, man. And um, yeah, everyone's just like kind of pushed me along, and it kind of dispelled that whole myth of you have to be a certain way, mm-hmm. dude. All I had to be was nice and real. You know, I didn't sugarcoat. I didn't keep it fake or whatever. It was just like, you know, I. Sh- Dude, if, if you would have told me I'm staying in, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey director's house, and she, you know, in their spare bedroom, and the, dude, it was just fucking amazing. I was like, holy shit, this is badass. Yeah. I never would have dreamt it, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just being nice to people, man. And then, well, and uh, you know, I mean, not to not to dig too far back, but I, I think that you know, one of the things that that I've found useful for me and, and what I try to live by is is that is essentially as as basic as it fucking sounds is the golden rule is that mm-hmm. you know for for everybody, whether it's race relations, fucking, I mean, it doesn't matter what the fuck it is, is that you know, treat everybody the way you'd want to be treated. You exactly. Know, if, if, you, yeah. if you and and that's for for all sizes. If you don't want stereotypes and then, then don't don't put exactly. them on other people exactly. for everybody you mm-hmm. know uh, and that's that's white people that's black people that's everybody i'm uh, nice to everyone yeah. i i address everyone the same way like yeah. you're going to get a firm handshake yes yeah. you know whatever yeah and i make my assessments you know thereafter um but yeah i think that's how it always starts man it, it's 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 being nice yeah. the way you would want to be treated my mom taught us that yeah. you know our moms taught us that stuff man yeah. and, and it's 100 percent true dude 100 percent yep uh, so your new Discovery Channel yeah. show, where where is that? Uh, or, or when, Just got picked up for it, man. Yeah, it's been a long process. Like, I don't know if it's 45 emails back and forth, dude. Of What's the gist of it? I don't know if I could talk about it. Oh, no shit. It's literally like All right. just, just, can we, just Can done. we say when, when it's coming out? Or is that even fucking... That's still secret. God damn. Yeah. You heard it here I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, though. I will give you... I'll give you... If you can't make it out there, yeah, I'll give you the first like big little press interview thing, dude. Oh, I think it'd be badass. Yeah, and it's, awesome. yeah, let's do that. Oh, fucking yeah. Heck. We'll do that. We'll get and, shit. Yeah. Any, anything else you got going on you want to talk about? Uh, started the, the company, man. Um, it's a publishing company. So helping everyone to become authors or put their stories on paper. And like I said, everyone's got a story to tell, whether it's in your mind or a real life story. Is there a targeted yeah. demographic in terms of who you're everyone, just anybody, everyone, like veterans, anybody, anybody, I'm going back to the whole thing I talked about earlier is, is just unity, man. Like yeah. I'm bringing in the kids. I want to go back to my high school. I'm getting a, going to start like a writing competition for a short story and bring on a student and one of my partners, he's going to go to his high school. Um, he's a sniper. He was in, I trained him up as a sniper. Uh, he went on to do cool things as well. And uh, he's going to his high school, do the same thing. And we're going to have students. I'm going to write with them and we're going to hook them up with other writers and stuff like that and publish a book with them. 
and use all those royalties and stuff like that to go towards their college tuition from like my high school wasn't, you know, not many people go to college and we're same for him. So we kind of just because of the money or whatever and, you know, yeah. take care of that. And we have just everybody, man, females, you know, kids, black guys, white guys, purple guys, everybody, man. That's fucking everybody. Great. Well, that's good stuff, man. Well, I, uh, before I end on, on the last note again, I want to just, I, I can't thank you enough for coming. Oh, it's dude, been, it's been fucking awesome having you here. Uh, definitely going to have you back, uh, sooner than later. And, uh, it's worth it. I have to get in the bite suit one the, day, man. We'll do it here in a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it dark outside? Uh, good, good thing. There's lights on in the garage and that's where the bites. Oh, no, oh. But, uh, we'll get that on video if that happens. But, Hell yeah. Uh, but no, Hell um, yeah. You know, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, without a doubt, you know, the the fact that the support that we've had from just the first episode, and and I have no doubt this one will be uh, even more popular, but, you know, it's it's you guys, the listeners, that, that give guys like Nick and I the ability to to do what we do and, and love, and that's your guys' support. So, 100%. Um, I know I speak for both of us when I say thank you to, to all of our supporters for, for everything that you guys do, because, again, without you we'd be fucking contracting or doing mm -hmm. God knows what, you know, yeah. um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, uh, so thank you to you guys. Appreciate your support. Uh, again, go follow Nick, buy all of his books cause they're fucking awesome. And I'd like to end with just one, not too somber note, but just out of respect is that as we've been sitting here talking, I've noticed, uh, Nick has a, a memorial bracelet mm -hmm. that's been uh, clanging on the desk when he puts his hands down. And, and I would just like to, to let him, uh, in memoriam say who that's for before we sign off here. As for Benjamin Cop, man, uh, his mom gave me this uh, gave me this bracelet, and, yeah. and ben Benjamin is from the book. His story mm -hmm. needs to be heard. Uh, we appreciate you being here, brother, and I and I mean that in in every fucking term. So appreciate it. Uh, we will we will see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, this is the Mike Cop. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. 
with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 